Hey everyone, welcome to episode 48 of the Hellabass Bass Fishing Podcast. This week, great guest, Clark Ream, MLF Big Five Pro Circuit, brought to you by Tackle Warehouse Tournament Angler. I hope I got that right. Uh, things are always changing with them. But Clark Ream is a tournament veteran. He fished on the Bassmaster Elite Series. He's been a journeyman. He's been part of the sport for many years. Had a lot of success. We cover a lot of things, but I think the reason you're really going to want to stick through and listen to most of this podcast is we talk a lot about Lawrence Active Target, forward-facing sonar, how it can help you as an angler, what situations it works, breaking down the mounts, the different modes, all kinds of great stuff. So if you're into finding offshore fish, definitely stick to this podcast and listen to the end. This week, the Hellabass Bass Fishing Podcast is brought to you by Arsenal Fishing. Arsenal Fishing offers premium custom-made performance apparel and tackle. Arsenal delivers a wide variety of custom-designed baits, accessories, and tools, along with unique utilitarian apparel for all outdoor enthusiasts. As part of their support, you can use code HELLABASS15 to save 15% on all purchases at arsenalfishing.com to support the show. Now let's get back to helping you catch more bass and suck less. All right, Wednesday night, we're live. What's up, Clark? How are you doing tonight? Hey, what's going on? Yeah, long time no chat. How you been? Oh, surviving. That's what we do, isn't it? Yeah, awesome. Looks like we got uh, at least a dozen people waiting uh, before we even got in, so that's awesome. Uh, how is everybody doing tonight? How's the sound? How's the video for Clark and I? Uh, let us know, so if we need to fix anything, we can. Um, but otherwise, it looks like you're uh, working on a project back there. What do you, what do you got going on? Uh, 2021 man <laughs> you know it, it's one of those things that um you know i have to work when i'm home you know i guide on sam rayburn and do a lot of other projects and you know basically live hustles and so i usually typically don't mess with my tackling gear until it's about time for the season to start so i'm kind of in the shop right now cleaning up you know i i can move real quick kind of sure. buzz you around you can see i've got soft bags of soft plastics just sorting out trying to figure out what's going to go in the boat you know it's over here you can kind of see i've got just baits lined up things going around and just basically trying to figure out what all i need to pack the boat's loaded right now and uh for the first event of the year i'm going to run my my 2020 skeeter okay uh, my new one's ready to be picked up but you know by the time you get it wrapped rig get all the components i'm waiting for one or two other elements to rig on the boat um it just you know you cram it all in here right when the season starts yeah that's cool so you got uh you'll be running two you got that 2020 sold or is that something you still got to move after you get the other one loaded no i actually pre-sold this one and of all the i've been with skeeter since 2008 mm -hmm. and this this was the first boat i actually pre-sold and it's also the boat that i've gotten the most calls on you know covid shut down production for most uh boat manufacturers and so the availability of late model boats hadn't been there for people. Mm -hmm. And I mean, my phone has rang off the hook. People wanting to buy this boat because they can't get them. And every tour level pro that's running a Skeeter sold theirs quick. And so the availability hadn't been there. So. Yeah, for sure. That's uh, that's something that like back when I was thinking about upgrading my boat back in March, when I had a powerhead I needed to either fix or do something with, I was like, oh, maybe I'll wait and see like, thinking there'd be a recession and maybe there'd be some boats coming up, but that was exactly the opposite <laughs> of what happened. 
for, for the first time in my career, it is a seller's market. Yeah, you know, there's been times it's been hard to move a boat. Yeah. Uh, this year it's just been been easy. You know, all fishing stuff really. It's kind of like okay, I, I got a bunch of stuff I want to move and get rid of and sell uh, that I know I don't, I'm not going to use in this shop. But it's like, well, you know, if people can't buy crankbaits in two months, <laughs> you know, the value goes way up. <laughs> Yeah. So if anything, you know, you uh, if, if 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 we have another bait charge again, you're basically sitting on, you know, hard currency back there. Like if, even if the dollar goes, you can you can get by on baits and, and and that kind of currency. Oh yeah, oh yeah. You know, it's uh, you know, you, you sit there and think if I get out of pro fishing, you know, I I could sell everything I have. You know, I'm fairly debt free right now, which a lot of pros can't say that. Uh, but if I sold everything that I've got. You know, I'll have money in the bank to start a new business, you know, do a new project, do something with, you know, or retire, basically. You know, there's a lot of, lot of, lot of uh, options there. Yeah, for sure. So I definitely want to talk about what you're, what you're fishing in 2021. We're going to talk about some of the stuff you do with your Elite Angler Academy. Definitely want to talk about some of the stuff you're doing with uh, Live Target. And you've kind of had that. Active Target. Act, sorry, Active Target. Live Target was the old, or the live site was the old one. Sorry. Um, and uh, we're going to get into that. But I want to mention one thing. So finally, I've been working on some things. And you guys may have noticed this Arsenal hat uh, on the show for a little bit. But it's official now. Arsenal has decided to support my live stream. So uh, that's really good. So you see the little logo right above Clark's head over there. And uh, there's to be some discount codes uh, in the description once this video is done, but you can use the code Hellabass15 at Arsenal to get 15% off. Helps the show, helps you. You'll be see- yeah, there you go. Uh, and so we'll talk more about that as going, but I just wanted to give you a quick heads up. That's what the new logo is all about. And uh, we'll get into the content and you'll hear more about some of their cool stuff and some of their tools and accessories and things like that. So um, happy to have them, excited to have somebody that's willing to partner up. But now we're going to get into fishing. And uh, talk about Oya Clark on. So, Clark history. I forget. It's been a few years, but you spent several years fishing the Bassmaster Elite Series. Several years. What, what day range was that when you were fishing elites? Yeah, it started in uh, 2008 with my rookie season. I think I went to um, 13. I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I dropped out in the middle of season to go after custody of my kid. Uh, got him. You know, that's why I didn't make that lacrosse event that year. Um, you know the hardships of being on the elite series with doubled up events and everything else just were there and single dad with a two-year-old, you know, makes things tricky. So ended up fishing the FLW tour, which was, you know, spaced out a lot more and it was easier to do. You know, my parents, you know, my dad was in the army, my mom taught school. So I'm not one of those, those rich kids that popped up out here. whose dad bought them a boat when they were in high school and everything else. Um, but you know, they were both retired. So it was convenient. They'd come down and help me out with my son when I had to be out of town. Uh, when I was home, you know, I guide at Sam Rayburn when I was living down there. Uh, fast forward a couple of years, you know, I've been fishing the FLW tour the last six years, seven years. Uh, got married, you mm-hmm. know, three years ago. Moved to Shreveport. I actually live in Elm Grove, Louisiana, which is about three miles from the boat ramp at the Red River. And, uh, you know, now I'm fishing the MLF Pro Tour presented by tackle warehouse xyz big five this, <laughs> yeah that. yeah yeah i mean we're all gonna mispronounce what it is we, if i say flw you know everybody knows what it is still so right. it, you know it's all just you know names at this point 
Yeah, hundred uh, percent. Yeah, for for the guys that didn't catch it, I put it on the scroll bar down at the bottom. The code um, it'll be in the description as well. Uh, so all you're just focused hundred percent on the pro circuit, not mixing any Toyotas or anything like that this year. <clears throat> Uh, no, you know, it's when you've been doing it this long, the ego part of it's out of it and it, it's a business basically. I know you had Bradley Holman on recently. Mm-hmm. He and I are kind of in that same situation. We started roughly the same time. You know, we're, we're basically journeymen more or less that have been around a long time, cash lot of checks. You know, the biggest difference in his resume and mine is he has some wins on there. I don't, I've got more championship qualifications, you know, fishing more for points and for wins. But, you know, there's a bunch of us out here that have been out here, you know, eight to 15 years, basically, making a career out of this. And so every decision, no matter what tour I fish or local events, whatever else, it all comes down to business. If the numbers don't add up, then it doesn't make sense to go fish it. And, you know, frankly, at this point in time, my son is 10. I'm married. I've got 15 acres to mow. Um, Time at home is just as valuable to me as going to making money. So anytime I get to spend at home. Or go make guaranteed money guiding at Rayburn. I love teaching. I love guiding. Um, you know, as I tell my wife, this is what people do when they retire. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to retire. You know, so it, yeah. it's, I've got enough irons in the fire that it changes up my daily routine. That it's not the same day at work every day. You know, with the different guiding aspects, time on the water. You know, you know, tour fishing. You know, and all that stuff. Yeah, for sure. And you know the. The big five, they did some adjustments that actually made uh, the, the the pro circuit a little more attractive. And like for actually making money, they you know they lowered some entry fees and adjusted the payouts a little bit, so that makes it even a little more uh, attractive. Well, the entry fees had gone up, and I mean dropping them back down where they're on even keel with the elite series. Yeah, I mean yes, they dropped them, but that's like Walmart saying we slash prices and you save four cents. Um, it it just it's still a lot of money um, for sure. <laughs> everybody, everybody out here remembers when the FLW tour was like 2,500 or 3000 for an entry fee and the elite for 5,000. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of, a lot, a lot of money involved on that. <laughs> oh know, yeah. I'm not saying it's a, I'm not saying it's a bargain, but uh, a couple percentage points back in favor of the anglers this year, maybe. <laughs> Absolutely. And they, and they just came out with the revised payout. You know, they ended, ended up taking, I think 166, I think guys, um, mm-hmm. And they just sent us the new payout. And I think 49% of the field is going to get paid. I think they're paying right. 10 grand to 60th. And then like 61st through 80th, I think is uh, uh, like five grand. So it's at least your entropy back. So, you know, it, it gives you opportunities. If you don't get a big bite, but you can still go stay solid, you know, to at least get your money back. Um, either way, you still have to catch them no matter what the payout is or who's in the field. So. Yeah, for sure. And so you guys are kicking things off and, the big, uh, big O. Okeechobee. We are. We're going Okeechobee. I leave uh, the the fifth. You know, one of the biggest changes that you're probably going to hear more people talk about that hadn't even been focused on yet is they're only giving us two days of practice now, whereas we've always had three days of practice, whether it be the elites or FLW tour. And uh, so our practice actually starts on Monday now instead of Sunday. We have Monday, Tuesday, off day, Wednesday, which everything changes in the springtime on that off day. It seems like. Uh, and then the tournament is Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And I forgot how many make the cut. I think it's changed around a little bit too. Um, but that two-day practice period definitely is going to change the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it's the, just the amount of pressure that, that the fish are going to get, you know, it's going to be far less than they've had in the past. 
um, you know, a lot of guys are going to struggle with it because they're used to looking at the entire lake or wanting to check so many things. Or now you can't say, well, let me try that one oddball thing that might work or that one place way up the river I want to check. You know, now you really don't have time to do a lot of that stuff. And sure. you better be, bring your A game or you're going to have to learn how to practice where you can say, all right, I, I think I'm going to come to this area, you know, and I'm going to mm-hmm. figure it out in practice. And I think those of us that have been like on the elites before, I think we have a better grasp of that because we had basically two and a half days of practice before going into an event. And you learn how to practice uh, when you have to do those sort of things. Yeah, I was just going to ask, do you think that tilts the hand in the favor of the veterans, the guys that have seen these lakes multiple times who have, you know, been on, you know, shorter practice, have seen more things? Uh, I mean, so it seems like you do think that will, you know, maybe help you out and maybe help some of your, your, your the vets out. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've got a preconceived notion for every event that we're going to go to, you know, what I'm going to do, the areas I'm going to go to. The only one I haven't been to before is uh, the St. Lawrence River. And so mm-hmm. I'm Depending where I'm at in the points after Potomac, I may drive up there and spend a couple of days. You know, they, they've got it where you can't pre-fish with people. Uh, so, you know, I was hoping my dad could fly up and go with me or one of my sponsors could go, but not allowing anybody in the boat. You know, it, it isn't as fun to go pre-fish places and scout. Um, but hmm. at the same time, it it it's definitely going to be a challenge. Um, even with that preconceived notion, it didn't give you time to throw many audibles. You know, they tried to change a rule around where you couldn't really network with other anglers on tour. And, uh, you know, they the advisory board ended up getting that changed around a little bit. And so that's going to help. You know, and very few guys absolutely do it on their own on tour. You know, I tried sure. this year. I'm, I'm working with Matt Steffen and uh, I'm rooming with Matt Reed. Uh, so, you know, I used to room with Jason Menninger uh, the last mm-hmm. couple of years. And so, you know, having guys that, that kind of have the same fishing style and uh, in the same situation in life, basically, uh, comes in real handy. You know, I've learned you don't want to go room with a, with a rookie or one of these young guys, uh, you know, and at the same time, you want to room with guys that catch them. Sure. You know, when you, you room want- with guys that don't and you share information with guys that don't, it just trickles down and, you know, you don't have near the success. Then you guys, you want to room with people that are, you know, reasonably positive and uh, that kind of, you know, have the same mentality as you, right? I mean, uh, those are all things you don't want drama. You don't want things making, you know, creating noise or static when you're off the water that, you know, just causes, you know, distraction for you. So, and, and I mean, in both those guys, you know, and myself, everybody kind of looks at it in two different ways. You know, uh, mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that think winning is winning. You know, if you're not first, you're last. But at the same time, making $10,000 checks is huge whenever you're doing it as a business. And, you know, it keeps the wheels moving. It pays bills. At the end of the year, nobody says, man, I'm glad I missed that $10,000 check. You know, uh, it, it, it goes a long way. So when you're working with guys that understand that dynamic of, okay, let me get points. Let me not make stupid decisions. And you look at like Matt Reed, even when he was on the uh, the Elite Series, mm-hmm. you know, it was just steady Eddie constantly finishing right there in that, you know, 30th through 50th range of the points, you know, myself through the history that I've been on tour, AAA events, everything. I've got more 30th through 50th place finishes than everything else combined in my entire sure. career. And what that typically is, is you missed one fish, you know, you're one big bite away, one three pounder away from a top 20 when you're in those thirties, a lot of times, 
you know, um, one bad decision, you know, there, there's one little thing here and there, but at the end of the day, it's about catching, cashing checks and that's winning to me when you're at this level. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, John Cox, I mean, obviously he's won some, but he basically says he, he builds his business plan around making $10,000 checks. Right. So. Absolutely. And you kind of know at this point when you're on fish to win, uh, I'll give you an example last year at lacrosse, you know, I, I've got, you know, my network of friends I talk to at every tournament, you know, people back home and everywhere else across the country. And I, I flat told some of them, I said, I'm on something right now that, you know, I, I don't say I'm on fish to win very often. Um, right. Or I don't say I'm about to wreck them. And I finished eighth, <laughs> you know, and, you know, unfortunately, eighth, ninth and tenth were on the same tree. <laughs> so, right. so that was that was the right fish the right spot i mean it was a hole underneath the tree a seven foot deep hole with current ripping through it i mean it it is what it is and that's what people don't realize when you're out here there's a lot of these things that have to go right to have success and there's parts of the game that people don't understand you know when, when you talk to a local like what what's it going to take to win and somebody's like oh it's gonna hold on a second it's going to take 20 pounds to win. And it's like, well, no, it's not. If it was a one day tournament, it would take 20 pounds, but to win, you're not, nobody's going to catch 20 pounds every day. They're out here, you know? So people don't get a, a true representation of that or how much pressure is it going to get, you know, to put a hurt on those fish, you know, that's going to affect the outcome of that event or, Hey, there was a guy on my spot when I ran there, you know, there's been so many tournaments. I run to a fish that's on a bed and there's already somebody there. It don't matter if you're boat number two, it seems like number one is going straight to that fish. That you want to go to. And that makes or breaks a tournament a lot of times, and, you know, and then on day two, you have the dynamic of, okay, I, I'm a little bit more old school uh, than the way a lot of people are. And, you know, you try and do things right on the water. Some of those unwritten rules that everybody talks about. And it's like, well, I wasn't here, you know, last, yesterday. I don't care if I pre-fished here, you know, sometimes you just have to lay one down for, to do the right thing. Sure. Uh, Sycamore has an interesting question. He's like, if the shortened practice in the, the new small window, how much time are you scanning and looking versus actually fishing in a short practice? All right. So there's a misconception that people have about help. Okay. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to throw it out there. Most Bass Bros get help to some degree at some point in time in their career. All right. And, you know, it might be as simple of you as you need to go to a beat or Caney on Sam Raver, just throwing out right. names of popular creeks. You know, yep. that might be the help some people have. Some people might have a, hey, you need to go run floating docks in so-and-so creek. Then again, there's also, hey, man, here's the waypoints for this. And then there's also, hey, let me take you on the water, show you the lineup here. Let me hold your hand, show you how to make this cast right here. Oh, and if they move right here, they're going to go right here. And if this audible happens, you go over here. And here's 5,000 more spots just like this. You know, so typically what you see in an offshore tournament, you know, when people are scanning and catching them offshore, a lot of that's waypoints they've gotten in the past. They might not get it now. Um, and I've got help. You know, if you name an angler that you say does not get help or hasn't gotten help, and I'm not saying the new guys, I'm talking about people in the past, I can probably drum somebody up from somewhere, some location in the country that helped him run somewhere, get someplace. You know, I live here in Shreveport now. It's amazing the stories I'm hearing about the Bassmaster Classic in 2009, which was the <laughs> first time they came here. You yeah. know, who helped who, where they were at, and everything else. But with that being said, it's hard when you have two days of practice, two and a half, three days of practice, to go offshore, 
from scratch and totally find what you need to find to have that magic spot. And you're seeing that now as the elites have gone to a no info rule. Uh, MLF has got no info rules. You know, yes, there's guys that break it. That's a whole other podcast we could get into. Uh, but at the same time, you're seeing less and less of the offshore stuff because that's more spot oriented. So unless somebody goes to a lake prior to it going off limits and just graphing for days, and this is what makes me so good at Sam Rayburn is I've taught graph classes there and electronics classes for years. And I've graphed most of the lake at this point, side scanned it, found every hard spot, found stumps, little isolated deals. And you don't have enough time in two and a half, three days to be able to go do that on a foreign lake, you know, but with that being said, the new technology is giving us shortcuts to that, you know, map sure. chip technology is massive, you know, and I'll give you all an example. And this is one of the ones that I teach people in my classes. If, if I tell you, you go find buried treasure, where are you going to start? You know, pirate treasure. And people look at me like, oh, well, uh, you know, I look on the internet and it's like, well, that's great. That's a resource. Maps are resources. I'm a resource. Say I had a history degree. I knew where pirates were. And I said, man, you need to go to the beach. And then I said, well, you need to go to the Caribbean. Well, you know what we're doing with every one of these resources? We are breaking it down further and eliminating bad areas or bad water. So every resource you get, whether it's a map, Google Earth, you know, waypoints from somebody, it's getting you closer and closer. And then you have to use the technology. So in this case, if we go after pirate treasure, we might take a metal detector on that beach. You know, we've narrowed it down. We're going to go to the Caribbean. We're going to look at a beach and we're going to take a metal detector and look around. And that's our sonar. And then we got to extract that, that treasure. And that's what our tools are for. You can use a shovel, but you can use an excavator. So there's some tools and technology to do a better job at everything you're going to do. And these pros have learned how to expedite all of that information to find fish quickly and efficiently, even without the help. Help is just yeah. another resource. Yeah, absolutely. We actually talked about that quite a bit last week with Josh Douglas and myself. We talked about, you know, putting the game plan together and, you know, really narrowing down the areas you're going to focus on rather than try to cover the whole lake. Right. And that's kind of what we're talking about. And some of that's doing your own research. Some of that's getting, maybe a little directional information to at least put yourself in the right location. And then you can put your tools to work and, and kind of mine and excavate and really, you know, dissect those areas. And I think, you know, day in and day out, that's the smart way to do it, to be honest. So. Yeah. And what I tell people is look, every one of these guys on tour is good. Even the guys that you see not catching them. Okay. It's just like when you're watching major league baseball and this guy's batting two thirty six, and you think that guy sucks. Well, that guy was Billy bad a, from back in high school, college, his hometown, wherever. And these guys are better than you realize. And they need time and resources. And you look, most of y'all are probably following different pros on Facebook and Instagram. And you see how many were down there at Okeechobee. They're doing their homework. They're putting mm -hmm. their time in. You know, I plan on going to Eufaula uh, prior to going to Smith Lake in Alabama. You know, to just do nothing but side scan for brush piles all day for two or three days. That way, when we come for two days, I can explore going shallow and I've already got all these brush piles because we know that's going to be a pattern in May and I can just pull right up the waypoints I've got at that point. But it enables me to go explore other options because, you know, fish and brush piles is fish and brush piles. <laughs> I mean, it's, right. it's a no brainer at that point. Right. That, at that point, then you can start to look for 
sneaky ledge spots. You can decide if you want to sample shallow. You can see if there's any lingering, uh, you know, late spawners, a shad spawn deal, right? It gives you more flexibility knowing that you've got, you know, 200 brush piles in your back pocket. So <clears throat> now I will tell you, my nemesis is sight fishing. The first bed fish I see, I'm, I'm done. You know, in <laughs> practice, I am absolutely done. I'm going to go look. Um, you know, not many tournaments are one sight fishing, but I've learned from being out here, let day two take care of itself. Let day three take care of itself. You know, you can find enough weight on day one if you're a proficient sight fisherman. And there is a major difference between a guy who's caught a fish off a bed and a sight fisherman. And if you don't know which one you are, go try and do it in a tournament. You're going to learn it real quick, you know, um, because there's more to it than just going and ticking off a fish on a bed and trying to get that one to bite. You got to be able to find them. You got to be able to read them. You got to keep moving. Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll second that fun fishing sight fishing is a completely different ball game than sight fishing in a derby. <laughs> oh, you've got two hours left in the day and you've got one fish in the box. You know, most sight fishermen aren't going to sit there and stop on a two pounder to go try and catch one because they know if they keep moving, they're going to find that right one. And it's, you know, the grass is always greener, right? <laughs> What's around the river bend? Um, yeah. Well, I'm thinking when you go fun fishing, you have like two coves all to yourself. And then in a tournament, you think you got this cove that's got the, you know, the, the mother load in there. And it probably does. But then you're the fourth boat in there. And it's like, well, that, that changes things. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I remember there was a tournament at uh, Harris Chain a couple years ago. And, you know, it was me and John Cox and Tim Frederick and one canal starting the day. And in practice, that Tuesday of practice, there was two or three 40-pound bags to be caught in there. Mm -hmm. And they were all gone on day one. And so they ended up leaving out. You know, Cox was the first one in there, and he was sitting on one, or where one was at. And uh, Tim was the next one in there, and I was right after him. And, I mean, we're all in talking distance. And it's like, John, how big is that one? He said, dude, it's probably 13. And I was like, I, I didn't gauge it to be that big, but, I mean, I've never seen a 13 on a bed and Tim stopped on the first fish there. That was a seven. And he was like, well, you know where to go. And I was like, yep. Anywhere I want. And he's like, yep. <laughs> and every fish in that canal was gone in that off day. Hmm. Um, and then all of a sudden the next person that comes in is Todd Castledine, who is historically one of the best sight fishermen in the state of Texas. And Todd and I were pretty much the only two in that canal most of the, for the rest of the tournament. And it was still leapfrogging around. It's like, all right, there's a fish there. Oh, he missed that one. How did he miss that obvious fish? Well, if you go by at the wrong time and it scooted off, you know, you're not going to see it. But at the same time, you know, I'm married to this fish. He's married to that fish. We keep going back to the same ones, you know. And if one of us would have had it to ourselves, you know, you could have had all those fish and done really well, you know. And so it just changes the dynamic of everything. Yeah, absolutely. So let's, you kind of talked about the classes and stuff you do. You've you've been doing this for several years now. You branded it Elite Angler Academy. Like, how did that start? And and you know, what is that? What is it all about? Well, in about 2011, I guess it was. Was it 11 or 12? Um, I basically decided to jackpot uh, the FLW series. Because remember when they mm -hmm. had the FLW Tour and Series? Yeah. I decided to jackpot the one at Rayburn. And at that point, I'd been on the Elite Series for, you know, four or five years already. And I looked at it like, well, you know, you make a living going and, you know, figuring out new water and everything. And I've fished Sam Rayburn since I was in high school. 
I went to high school in Leesville, Louisiana. Uh, my dad was stationed at a military base there. And that's basically 30 minutes from the dam at Fort Pol- of uh, dam at Toledo Bend. And then Rayburn was an hour from the house. And so I, in high school, I fished both those lakes. And, you know, even out of college, you know, I fished them quite a bit working down as a graphic designer. And uh, it, I realized, you know what, you know the lake and you catch fish, but you're not catching the right fish. And so at that point, it was like, let me go out and start graphing and really trying to figure out what I'm doing. So about that time, I reinvented myself uh, with the fishing. I figured out how to use Google Earth, uh, self-taught everything, you know, from graphs to figuring out maps to understanding new theories and fishing. And in that tournament, I basically reinvented what I know, even on a lake that I'm very familiar with. And now it's a whole new lake. And, you know, because of that, I learned a lot. And that's the type of stuff that I share in my classes. And it's evolved a lot, you know, since 2012, I think is when I first started doing them. But it essentially came about because, you know, I had a couple bad years. And in the off season, you know, I try and chase sponsor money and everything else and try and hustle. And, you know, you can't just get a nine to five job. And so I was needing to make money. And so I was like, well, let me start guiding. And then I was like, well, I don't want to just guide. Let me teach this stuff because I love talking. I mean, that's kind of what I'm known for on tour. That's uh, why you're here, Clark, because you love to talk. So that's why I invited you. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm pretty candid. You know, I'll talk about just about anything. Um, but, you know, it just kind of evolved from there. And so we're at a different time now in fishing. You know, and I had this conversation with a guy the other day that, you know, back in the day, everything was so secretive. And that's why, you know, these old timers don't want to share information and they get left in the dust. You look at these young guys now sharing information in all the social media, YouTube and the videos and stuff used to be, you know, Bassmaster magazine was like the Holy Grail. You know, you get that in and you, you know, you're old enough. You're like, oh, this is like the best right here. You know, and and it's one of those things that one of the the goals or dreams that every pro angler has is like to make the cover. And I think like. (laughs) Gary Klein went forever before he made the cover and I've I've never made the cover. Um, But you're always be pumped whenever you make it in there. But then you start realizing this is a bunch of garbage (laughs) that that's in a lot of these magazines and a lot of these write-ups and everything else, because it's dudes selling products. (laughs) That's all it is. You know, my dad will argue with me because he read something on Bass Fan or on the internet that so-and-so caught him on this or he's doing this. And I'm like, no, he's not dad. And he's like, well, that's what this says. And I'm like, no, he went to dinner with me that night. And the outdoor writer called him while we were on the way to the restaurant. And he gave his interview. And that's not how he's catching. (laughs) You know, he's selling products. And once you start realizing that about most TV shows and articles and YouTube videos and everything else, you know, it it just gets this, you know, it just gets the mystique is gone. And you know, so when I started doing these classes, it's like, I'm just going to start putting information out there, you know, how to find fish, how to like really, really break down a lake, because not everything that you're reading in these magazines pertains to every lake in the country. Somebody can say a fish is a fish is a fish, but it's not, you know, blueback herring lake, the bass in those lakes are totally different than a Florida grass lake or a TBA lake. You know, the TBA lakes are kind of one of my nemesis. I don't think I've ever gotten a check in June on a TVA lake. You know, I catch them there, you know, earlier in the season, but in June when they're on ledges and yes, I'm an offshore guy, I graph a lot, 
but it's just there's something about it making poor decisions the crowds every aspect of it you know gets to me uh but those fish don't behave the same as they do like at sam rayburn and i remember the flw uh tournament two years ago at rayburn you know i'd be pretty good friends with buddy gross and he came up to me he's like dude these fish at rayburn it's not the same graphing for these fish as it is back home i said yeah you see why i struggle on these other lakes graphing i'm the graph guy here you know and they look different they set up different they just do different things Mm -hmm. and so that's what i teach these guys to dispel a lot of the information they've always heard and read about is most people don't pay attention when they're out there to form their own ideas about fishing where they're at. Most pros regurgitate the same information that they've read about for years. And I'll give you another example. Everybody's heard that in the fall of the year, all the shad and the bass move to the backs of creeks. Well, that doesn't happen at Rayburn and Toledo Bend. You know, I've had this conversation with Mark Pack you know, back in the day when, when he was doing well and, uh, you know, we're going to miss him. And he was actually one of the smartest, you know, anglers that I knew. And I talked to him pretty frequently about different stuff. And, you know, at Lake Fork, they don't do that migration. I don't know why, but anglers that go to those lakes looking for that in the fall of the year, they're about to get their feelings hurt because in East Texas, our fish are main lake oriented or shad is main lake oriented. Well, you can tell me, yeah, I saw shad in the back of this creek and I caught bass back there. But I'm going to tell you right now, those are resident fish. That shad mm-hmm. is a resident shad there because most of our shad's on the main lake. Because those bait balls you're seeing in the back of the creek, I'm seeing bait clouds that are acres and acres in size that, that are thick out on the main lake that are making no migration. And most of the bass are out there still. But you don't hear about that in these magazines. And so all these different things are things that I teach anglers how to look for what to understand on the water and how to make decisions. Because one thing to take a guy out and go just to go catch fish, another to teach him how to go find them on his own and make decisions on what you need to do every single day. He's on the water. Yeah. And that's the big thing. You're, you're not the typical guide where it's like, just show up and we're going to go out and catch 40 fish. That's not right. I mean, this is really intended to be a coaching clinic day on the water. Like that's how you set it up. Right. I mean, you're looking for people that are decent, or good anglers that want to get better, right? That's kind of your clientele? At, absolutely. You know, and I definitely have a different clientele. You know, most of the clients I have have, you know, a $50,000 plus bass boat. They've got all the fancy electronics and everything. And I'm going to tell you all a secret right now. People call me and be like, I want you to tweak my units. And I say, dude, I'm going to get in your boat. I'm going to tell you right now. I'm going to say, hey, you watched a YouTube video on some pro who had settings that they liked. And I can tell you which video you watch probably. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to flip that Lawrence unit back to factory default settings. And it's probably going to be as crisp or clear as anything you're going to do to tweak it. Because when I graph another area right down the lake, you're going to have to tweak it again and tweak it again and tweak it again constantly. I can go over dirty tricks that, you know, marketing does with, you know, and these guys that make pretty pictures, you know, like getting on a troller motor to get a constant speed and finding the right angle to get the perfect picture of this image or that. Uh, you know, and that's why anglers are like, well, my depth finders don't look like that. And it's like, because there's ways to make your image look better, you know, to, if you're going to worry about posting an image like that. Um, but I teach guys how to run it on default and just understand what you're seeing. I don't need to see that that is a willow tree down there or no, that's a sycamore. I want to say that's a fish holding element. I see fish. I understand what type of fish they are based on how they're relating to the other fish how they're relating to the bottom or these fish catchable. 
you know? And so those are the things that we focus on. I focus heavily on resources, Google Earth. I know where to find pre-impoundment satellite images or aerial photographs for a lot of lakes. Um, I teach people how to extract all that information, uh, how to basically map and, and break down water, you know, how to eliminate water. So those are the types of things I do. And then we get on the water only half the day typically because we do a lot of this in a classroom environment in a cafe with Wi-Fi there at Sam Rayburn. And when we go get on the water, we basically go apply that information and we go wang on them pretty good. His Rayburn is real good. Yeah, so you're you're basically East Texas. You go on Rayburn, Ray, uh, Rayburn and uh, uh, Toledo Bend mainly. I don't even do Toledo Bend. Okay, just uh, Rayburn. Yeah, Toledo Bend is a shell of the lake it used to be. Um, we're we're kind of finding that anytime a lake is rated the number one lake in the country, it goes downhill about four or five years after the fact. And something happened on Toledo Bend. We don't know where it is. You know, it sprayed a lot of grass. You know, people can talk about you know, people eating fish, the pressure, everything else, but it is definitely not the same lake. And we're seeing the effects on Rayburn right now. You know, the tournament weights, even though there was a 40 pound bag, everybody gets pumped about that. But the sheer number of bags that have been over 25 pounds has not been there like they typically are this time of year uh, that, that we typically see. And so it's still not the same lake that it was. And so you're constantly having to evolve what you do out there and, and, you know, what the fish are doing. Yeah, for sure. Tom says he, he remembers you hanging out in the ultimate bass boards back in the day, dropping nuggets. So, <laughs> well, I, I talked to Mike Cork the other day, you know, we might do some stuff coming up. Mike's actually cleaning a couple of reels for me here real quick. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I deal. you know, I have Mike Cork clean a bunch of reels. I have Trey Harpel, uh, up in Missouri, clean a bunch of reels. Yeah. Do a job. So cool. Maybe we'll do some oh. ultimate bass stuff here in the future. Yeah. Um, and, and I guess, I mean, like you're obviously staying on top of the technology, you know, uh, and, you know, basically creating fresh content for yourself to have some of your customers keep coming back. Right. Cause like, these are the same people that wanted to learn 2d sonar eight years ago. They wanted to learn sign scanning five years ago. And now this year they're going to want you to be helping them with their, uh, active target. Right. So, yeah. And, and, you know, at one point I thought to myself, you know, you're giving up too much information in one day because I try and cram up so much info in a day that guys are getting better. They're able to go apply it themselves uh, and they're not having to come back for repeat clients. But I'm finding more and more coming back with secondary questions based off of what we've done. But mm -hmm. guys, guys, you know, they're it, it's all about learning is what it is. And, you know, the technology part of it is always going to evolve and people are constantly going to want to have the latest and greatest thing. You know, I've been fortunate that I got the active target back in, in uh, the end of November, you know, to create some content with it and learn it. And I'm trying to come up with creative ways and try and show fresh videos that people haven't done with other brands, you know. And even as I think about the schedule for 2021, I'm thinking about, OK, this is a way I can apply it at this event, you know, or I can look over here. Um, you know, one of the ways that I'm thinking about hoping it works at Okeechobee is I'm hoping to see underneath a mat. <laughs> I haven't tried yeah. it yet, but I'm thinking, man, if I could see underneath a mat in scout mode, it's going to be stupid. Right? Even, even if you couldn't see fish, but you could see bait or you could see life or you could see, I mean, like just see movement, right? That would be a big deal. Possibly. And I'm thinking there's a good chance you're going to be able to see the fish, especially if it's a deeper mat, like in a canal mm -hmm. um, or, or going down the bank of a, of a canal, seeing a fish on a bed that you might not see. 
Yeah, when I went to a local lake here the other day with it, trying to shoot a video, hoping to find, you know, we got some power plant lakes here mm -hmm. uh, near the house. And I was hoping to find, you know, a, a male and a female paired up to sight fish, to blind fish for a bedding fish doing nothing but using an active target. Unfortunately, the lake is full of grass and we couldn't find it like that. We caught a bunch just sight fishing, you know, just looking at them, but not with the active target. But I've got about 20 different videos right now that still need to be edited of, of content with just active target from the first, you know, dozen times I've been on the water with it. It just takes time to do all those edits. Yeah, I could imagine where, like, even on, like, Okeechobee, you could find some fish on a, a beautiful, sunny, calm day, right? But then you, and you've got them waypointed, and you go back, and it's cloudy or windy. That active target may help you identify whether that fish is still there or not uh, when when conditions aren't ideal. So that could be a nice perk. Yeah, it's, it's you know, the, the tricky part about Okeechobee, and I was talking to Matt Reed about this, is it's kind of like Falcon where he guides at. By the way, I'm going to do a quick plug for Matt. If y'all looking for a trip to Falcon – he's still catching giants down there you know the lake isn't what it was but it is stupid good still it's got giant fish and there's a lake just north of there called choke canyon that's probably the best lake in texas right now it had gone on a downslide but it is on fire so if you're interested in a guide trip you know called matt reed on that deal um but the problem with falcon and and okeechobee for using the active target or live scope or whatever um is the amount of fish species that are in the lake the sheer number of fish, because you're going to read tilapia with it just as well as you're going to read bass. You're going to read gar. You're going to read Afghan cichlid. You're going to read hardhead catfish. You're going to read all these crazy fish species that we don't have other places, you know, but you know, what would be cool if I got a Python or something on that scout mode going through. <laughs> they got <laughs> yeah. this too. I'm surprised Sean Grigsby hasn't posted that one yet. He's got the manatee and the alligator. Um, but that's the tricky part about that technology is, there's still a learning curve. People think it's the magic bullet. And what I've told a lot of guys, because, you know, a lot of these pros still don't have them from Lawrence. They've called me and asked me questions about it. And I said, look, there's a lot of dudes that had live scope last year on tour, on all the tours, and they still sucked. They didn't catch them. It still doesn't, no matter what technology you have like that, it still doesn't show you where to stop the boat to go catch those fish and where to use it to see them. You still mm -hmm. have to use your skills as a pro angler to go find those fish. And it's just another tool to help you catch them. Now it's yeah. an awesome tool, <laughs> but you still got to know where to stop. Yeah. We, like I said, like $10,000 electronics is not going to make you go from a novice to being a really good angler. It might make you a really good angler to a, you know, a great angler or, you know, may, you know, take you from 95% to 98%, but you got to have the time on the water and the experience and, and all those tools before you can even really, un, I mean, like unlock it. Right. So. Yeah. And make it sound easy because it's not, you know, you look at Patrick Walters chasing down fish using it. And I know several events that have been one doing that, but it is not easy just to go out. You still have to go out and practice doing that. And that's going to be the detriment to a lot of these anglers is they're going to have this technology and they're going to want to go out and use it because I got it. But at the same time, with two days of practice, you don't have time to go perfect that. You don't have time to go look for those fish that are active target specific or live scope specific. And, you know, you're a flipper. You need to go do what you do. We're, we're pros. You need to just mm -hmm. go do what you do to make a living and just put down the technology at times. And that's that's going to be hard for a lot of guys at that point. Yeah. So one last question or a couple last questions on the, on the, your, your, your guide. Uh, 
is it all in your boat? Do you ever take the, their boat? And then like, if people want to, you know, look into that, like how do they, how do they book or how do they find your availability for it? Well, typically I like going to my boat. It seems like when I go on other people's boats, um, because again, we're, we're running on default. It's the same technology, whether you got Humminbird, Garmin, Lowrance, it's the same technology. It's about understanding what you're seeing. It's just not the same about pressing buttons. It's the only difference in a lot of that technology. Uh, and it seems like every time I go on somebody else's boat, their networking will be wrong. Um, <laughs> funny thing is the last three times I've been on the water, two of the three guys uh, ran out of gas. <laughs> so, you know, guys, boats break down. Their stuff isn't up, you know, the way it needs to be set up. Uh, they've got issues with something, you know, so it complicates things. So typically we go out in my boat. You know, I can make, uh, you know, concessions and go in other people's boats. But it uh, is the same information regardless if we're on the bank or on the water. So, Sure. So, so unless they've gone to the bass tank and had everything, like, rigged and checked out, you don't want to go in their boat. <laughs> No, and those guys do a good job. They do some great yeah. videos. I use a company called Jones Trolling Motor in Texarkana. Yeah. There's, a, uh, there's a company called RTR down in Beaumont that does a good job. You know, these riggers are starting to pop up everywhere, and you know, there's a lot uh-huh. of people that are knowledgeable on all this technology and stuff. And so, do people get a hold of you through like your Facebook, your social media, your website to to do the elite? Yeah, so I'm growing this YouTube channel right now. Uh, that's the easy way to reach me is is through uh, the Elite Angler Academy on YouTube. We've got a lot of active target videos on there, doing a lot of Lawrence videos. Um, you know, you can hit me up on my fan page on uh, Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Uh, but again, it's my availability right now is getting a little bit slimmer with the tour season here. Between juggling home life and tour events and my regular clients and everything else, you know, I'm able to do yeah. some uh, a few days here and there. But you know, typically a lot of a lot of the trips I do start in July, July yeah. through January. And the summer, fall, start making your plans if you really want to take it to the next level. Um, how much? Sure. How much tweaking do you do when you're fishing different lakes? I mean, are, are you, like you said before, like set it to base, but then beyond that, are you adjusting things lake to lake um, based on different? Not, no, I can tell you right now on the Lorance on my side imaging, I use the gray color palette. You know, and it people don't use that one. They get in the boat and like, man, I, I've never used that. And I see things I don't see. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's awesome. Um, I use one of the chartreuse ones for my down imaging and I use color palette 13 for my 2d, which is the one that's got like the Brown bottom. It shows the easiest separation between fish in the bottom. Um, of all those three, I use the down imaging the least. And I know that seems weird to people, but I can see my down imaging in the two, in the, uh, the side imaging and the structure scan. Because I look in the water column there and I can see more in the 2D sonar and interpret things more so than even in the down imaging with the colors and different things like that. But one of the things I do on the side imaging that most people don't is I'm running my structure scan out at 100 and 120 feet. You know, the rule of thumb is three times the depth of the water. But I've figured out, you know, by putting it out far, I can see a lot more and interpret what I'm seeing. So if I'm you know, 10 feet or deeper, I'll run it out there at 120. If it's, you know, five foot to 10 foot, then I'll run it at 80 to hundred. But most of them I've got sure. on hundred, which is way farther than most people have. Yeah. I think Brian Thrift subscribes to that same theory. He wants as much information as possible and he's caught a few fish. So um, yeah, I've heard that, <laughs> but you don't really like gain sensitivity. Like you're not, no, not playing with any of that stuff. No. And that's the thing about the newer uh, Lawrence units is they've, 
they've modified their stuff and they've gone through with their validators and figured out what the optimum setting is. And so day in and day out, that's the one, you know, I can tell you right now, I can tell the difference whenever it gets closer to dark, but it's like the plankton coming up to the surface because of the light conditions and things like that, where you can start to see a more clutter at times. Um, and there's, there's times that it, things are brighter. Some lights have more tannins in the water and you can tell there's a little bit more clutter, but I really don't mess with any of that stuff at all because it, you would have to tweak it constantly for every location you look at. Yeah. And there's it's some people that definitely do that. I know I've heard John Sukup talk about that. Like he like spends the first time he gets in the water, he drives around and like fine tunes it and adjusts it for the amount of that would drive me nuts. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I, I don't have that flexibility, even though I've got a lot of time to do it. It's, it's about understanding what you're looking mm-hmm. at than anything. And in fact, I just started a new series you know, on my YouTube channel, which is a uh, called like, tech interpretation tuesday you know everybody's got to catch it get a catchy name there uh where every week i'm going to start posting you know different side imaging pictures or 2d or down imaging pictures in fact the one i posted uh today uh, or last night um you know if you watch it through it's at the end you know i've got images of gore there and that way people understand what they're looking at you know because most people still don't understand what they're saying and i try not to make long videos um, just because I don't want to sit through somebody's 15 minute video. I don't want to see the clickbait, um, you know, to sit there and drag you through to finally get to the information you want to see. I'm trying to make one to three minute videos that way they're quick watching, you know, you're trying to learn. It's about cutting through all the BS and just getting education. Yeah. I can tell you that's terrible for the algorithm, but nice for the viewer. <laughs> <laughs> well, but yeah, so I flashed these up here. I've watched a few of these. Uh, you do a good job editing them. They're clean. They're crisp. They got good audio. Um, and like you said, you can, you can binge watch these and be done in uh, half an hour. So, well, I might do some gorilla style videos coming up and the tour season starts, but as I'm able to sit there on my computer and do edits, you know, I'm going to try and make some higher quality content, I think, than, than a lot of what we've seen, you know, from anglers. Mm -hmm. So go on, check that out, especially if you're exploring. I mean, most of the stuff is active target. I'm sure. As you get into the season, you you might uh, dabble in some of the other stuff, but uh, and but I mean, I, this is obviously what's hot right now and what people are searching for. So, yeah, and I told Matt, I said, "Get ready, we're gonna make some videos. You might get a Matt Reed cooking video because he gets off the water every day about three or four o'clock and goes back to the room and cooks." <laughs> yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, you know, and I've got a lot of other tips and things that you haven't seen yet. You know, it's almost like a race now on YouTube with pro anglers trying to put out information. But how many how to tie an FG knot videos can you watch? You know, and so it's, it's kind of like, well, darn, this angler put this out, you know, dang, Matt, Matt Stefan, you know, perfect example. He is mm-hmm. got some of the absolute best content because these guys are up there in the snow in Wisconsin and they can't go fishing. So he is putting out ridiculously good content for tips and tweaks and tricks and stuff like that. And people aren't watching it that much because they're they're not even thinking about that because they're being stuck looking at guys that have a million followers because that's what the algorithms show them. But there's a lot of guys out there putting out good content that's taking ideas away from the rest of us that want to put out good content. Yeah. Again, how many videos can you watch of the same thing? Um, so interesting question by John. Obviously, electronics are paramount in finding fish in practice. How much are there are situations where you don't run electronics or you turn them off or like even, I mean, obviously shallow. There's a lot of guys that turn them off. But are there times where you'll turn your sonar off to reduce the ping or only run map like to 
less alert the fish? Do you ever subscribe to that? Yeah, there's been times I don't even put my depth finders on, especially on the bow. And I can tell you right now, you become a slave to the technology. So it doesn't matter if I'm sitting there in two foot of water. I know it's two foot of water. You're constantly looking down. And I can tell you right now, there's going to be a lot of guys with back and posture issues, you know, bending over, looking at that active target and live scope, you know, hunkered over the whole time, just staring at it. Um, but I look at the GPS a lot because I do do a lot of scouting. I do a lot of prep work. I make a lot of waypoints. Um, if my GPS is not working right, then that's when I go into panic mode. And yes, I could scrap everything and go to the bank, put on a square bill or a DT6 and go crank in or throw a shaky head or whatever. You don't need any of that stuff as much when you go junk fishing. But, you know, when you do your homework, you've got, if you do it right, you go scout. I've got alignments on a lot of stuff. I don't even need the, the, the sonar anymore. Um, so it, as long as I've got my GPS working and I've got mm -hmm. my point one with, with my heading sensor going right, I can hit targets. I can see things, you know, that to me means more than looking at the 2d sonar. Um, I use it more just for the depth at that point or to get a gift fish. And that's what I relate to people about even like that active target. And with the 2d sonar, I mean, we use the 2d for years before other technology. And once you learn how to use it to hit fish, you know, when I see that fish on the active target or on the 2d and I drop a jig and spoon or a Ned rig or a drop shot down there, you know, that's no different than a fish jumping on the bank and you throw it over and cast into it, you know, mm -hmm. visibly sight fishing for that fish. I, I can see it right there. You know, your electronics aren't going to lie to you. They, the information is there. It's not hard to catch those fish, but again, you become a slave to it and you try and catch those fish and you can spend too long trying to mess with it. And the electronics can actually hurt you at that point, but I don't typically worry about the pinging and all that. I'm not usually sitting in a spot long enough to worry about it. Sure. Yeah. I think the, the, the point one or the hummingbird heading sensor is something that's underrated. Not many people talk about like for me, like that changed the game for me fishing deep more so than like the actual sonar, like to be able to confidently line up uh, on a waypoint and make that cast made me a way better offshore fisherman really fast, more so than the other parts. And I, I don't know. You, I mean, it's, it's not as sexy. It's not as cool. You know, it's obviously, it's not a, it's not a $3,000 upgrade. It's a hundred dollar upgrade. <laughs> um, like that's essential for me. Like I jumped in a buddy's boat and uh, this summer and he had new garments mixed with his hummingbirds and he had, uh, you know, the live scope and, you know, everything. And I was like, how do you not have a heading sensor on your GPS? <laughs> like up front, like, how are we, <laughs> Like, I was like, we're like out of Malax floating around and like, you know, it's one of those days where you can't quite like the wind is kind of, you just kind of, your boat's just kind of getting squirrely because you, you don't have enough wind to, to, to like hold into it. And it's still pushing you around. It's like, we're not making good casts here. Like, how do you not have this? And like you asked about going on other people's boats. That's one of the, the first things that I end up noticing on most boats that I go in is they don't have one of those. And then you're, you're sitting there just like, well, I don't know how to hit this target. You know, you're able to lay out waypoints to tell you the information. And again, you talked about the point one and stuff being an underrated deal. Well, again, people don't utilize their GPSs, the capability that they have. I mean, you essentially have a computer and a journal right there to put all mm -hmm. sorts of information in front of you. Because as I get older, my memory gets awful. And people, you know, sit there and talk about triangulating and lining up. Well, at Sam Rayburn, you got national forests all around. There's very few targets 
And a lot of those trees that guys used to triangulate with are gone. And so without a GPS, you can't triangulate. You know, that people make it sound great. Oh, it's old school, triangulate this and that. But if there's no targets and it's all the same trees and now all of a sudden the trees change, you know, you're in trouble. You can't say I'm going to line up with that cloud and that blue heron over there. And so, you know, one of the things we talk to anglers about is utilizing, you know, the icons and naming waypoints. And on the Lowrance, you're actually able to go through when you make a waypoint, there's a note section and I can actually type in notes like eight pounder Carolina rig january 2019 or cast at, this is where your boat sits cast at the sailboat and the dot right. <laughs> you know because when you come back it's like was this my bowie point for the boulder or was this my waypoint for where my boat was supposed to sit <laughs> well I'll, I'll tell you an example on that note deal is i was at the forest wood cup at like washita i think it was 2015 time frame and i had over 300 brush piles that somehow got there um and for every brush pile, there was multiple waypoints. There was three different sit spots for every brush pile, you know, depending on the wind or the angle that mm -hmm. I came in, where if I knew if I put my boat on this stop sign, I could make the cast. And it would say on each one, it would say like, uh, dead sycamore to no wake buoy, uh, BP 20 top 10. So I knew when I pulled up there, if I cast it between the dead sycamore and the, the, the no wake buoy, I would hit the brush pile and some of the brush piles in 20 foot and the top of it is in, comes up to 10 foot. So if I wanted to count down a bait to get there. Now, of course, with active target, now you just pull up and you see the brush pile in front of you, you see if a fish is there and you fire away. And you think how many tournaments in the past would have been won with that technology available in, in the past. But imagine having that for 300 different brush piles, having multiple sit spots, angles, information, you know, outlining it and showing exactly where everything's at. So when it was time to go, it would just pull up and, and run it. And it's, then it becomes a numbers game. How many high percentage places can you hit, you know, to be successful? And unfortunately, I did not get a single bite on a brush pile in that event. <laughs> uh, is that the one uh, Brad Knight won? It was. Well, he was kind of fishing, drop shot and some lay downs in a creek or something like that. Yeah, I think I think Mark Daniels Jr. was in that same creek. And yeah. They, you know, and it was just basically junk fishing around on resident fish. And, mm -hmm. you know, when you look at these championship events, you know, I'll give you a perfect example. You know, I've fished two Bassmaster Classics. I've got a top 10 in a Classic and a last place in a Classic. And I feel better about my last place in the Classic because I actually made choices to try and win instead of being happy to be there and just trying to go catch a limit and do everything else. And, uh, you know, I made a long run at the Katawachi Classic, the Van Dam one. Uh, made a three-hour run one way, didn't get a bite. Three hours back, hey, your your tournament's over. But I remember, I don't know if it was like an article or a blog or a social media post. You felt pretty confident about what you had found on that run in practice. No? Yeah, it, it, I'll never forget this. I got back to the ramp that day, and you know, they've got trackers on you basically, and your marshals there, and everything else. And you know, you I had to run and lock through into the uh, Mississippi River. And then walk over into another section called Delaware. And you went like east, like everybody else was going like south, and you made this big run out in the middle of nowhere where nobody else was, right? Yeah, I had to go south and then cut over, lock into the Mississippi River, lock out of the Mississippi River into an area east. And as the crow flies, it was about 10 miles from the takeoff. But round trip, I had to go all the way down on the Savannah, cut over, come back up. And I was in an area that had the potential. And I remember getting back to the ramp and Steve Bowman walked up to me from Bass 
I think he's over the, you know, the website, the digital stuff. He walked up to me and said, look, we know where you're at. We know what lives there based off of all of our information. You didn't report any fish. We know you either got them or you zeroed. And I said, I zeroed and he just walked away. And I was like, <laughs> is what it is. <laughs> you know, so, you know, it, but I feel better about that than just showing up and fishing, you know, and you, you have to be at some of these championships a couple of times and take these chances, you know, and I've, I've made a lot of gambles in my career to try and win different events. I've come close in some, um, you know, you show up in an aluminum boat, jump a beaver dam, do sink brush, do work, you know, and all of it equates to work. It's the business side of it all. Um, and, you know, they just haven't materialized, you know, but you put yourself in those positions to try and win. Yeah. Uh, Sycamore, like, do you do anything? Uh, like, do you set depth limits? Do you just run your, your auto depth? Like, what do you do for like, I don't, I don't run my depth on auto. I set it because if it's on auto, you're going to watch it jiggy jag. Whereas if I see a slope coming up, I want to see that weird little shelf or that change of that break. And you can't see that when it's on auto. So like, you know, again, I'll use Sam Rayburn's example. I'm not typically going to look deeper than 30 foot deep. And so if I just set my, my range at 30, I can see everything on that slope. If I'm in a shallower area, you know, I might just have it set on 20. Uh, when I go to Florida, I probably won't have it set. I'll probably have it set on 10 or eight, you know, just because you don't need that extra jumping around and, uh, right. you know, just trying to maximize that time. And that's so set it about five right. feet deeper than you plan to fish. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. You got to get off the slope, Scaff. You're missing out. Good thing is there's the replay and then there's the podcast version. So while you're snowboarding, you can listen to last week's show on the podcast version. So there you go. Um, cool. So we talked about, we've kind of, you know, dabbled. We've been hinting about active target. You've kind of had early, you started putting content out more so than other people. I know like talking to Josh Douglas, who's a big Lorance guy, you know, he got his basically in time for things to ice up here. So he's like, he's down there, like getting his first glimpse at it, like really using it, which is probably not the ideal place in, in Florida. But, um, like what, what, I would just, maybe give us an overview. Uh, I mean, we've kind of talked about it. What are you like your, your biggest takeaways? I mean, did you have a Garmin unit before this or is this like your first, I mean, or did you go from like live site to active target? Like what was your history with front facing so far? And what do you think the new system Lawrence put out? Like, what does it do best or what's the biggest difference? Well, I, prior to this, I'd only been on one boat with the live scope. And so I really don't have enough experience with it. When people would call me about going out uh, and doing teaching them about their Garmin units, I'd send them to a guy that Sam Raver named Brian Branham, who's a buddy of mine. And it's kind of one of those deals. He sends me some of his Lorance stuff. I'll send him the Garmin stuff. He actually works for Garmin doing things. Um, so I send them to him for, the, for excuse me, for, for Garmin stuff. Uh, so to that point, I'd never really been on one. You know, I had a deal with Lorance, so there was no sense of me putting it on. You know, yeah. there, you heard stories about guys that got in trouble last year for adding it to their to their boats. Uh, they avoided some contracts and everything else with Hummerbird and Lawrence. Um, But at the same time, did you have the you, live site last year? I had the live site, and I never really got it dialed in the way I wanted to to use it. Uh, so I really didn't have it mastered. Um, to this point, I think I've got the the active target kind of figured out you know, probably about 70%. Uh, 
uh, of its capability. I know what settings I like it on. Uh, I like it on color palette number three, which is kind of the yellow one. Um, I run it without any noise filter on just because, you know, it seems like whenever you put the high filter on, you don't see hardly anything. It, it would be good for maybe if you're targeting really big fish like a spoonbill or big catfish or saltwater species. But I want to see everything, you know, and with that active target, the, even the first time I was out there, I was like, holy crud, there's my line. I could see my braided line going down and you could actually see the knot. And then you couldn't see anything where the fluorocarbon was. And then hmm. you could see my head rate out in front of it. I mean, so that part was like, wow. So, I mean, just seeing stuff like that and getting to experience that. And, it, you know, you see the comments that people make. Oh, well, I can do that with my live scope and this, that, and the other. And it's like, that's great. You know, why is this one any better than my live scope? And, and all I can say is because I can run up my Lawrence unit. You know, and I'll be 100% candid and honest with people. It What it's going to do is it's going to give people with Lowrance the option to have it without having to go buy another Garmin system, without having to learn another interface. Are people that own Garmin going to say, yes, that Lowrance, you know, active target is a 10 out of 10? And I'm going to be like, probably, probably not. They're not going to go add a Lowrance unit when they've got all Garmin to get, begin with. They're going to get a live scope. The Hummerbird people are going to probably buy the the Hummerbird unit when it comes out, um, you know, so it, it's just giving everybody the opportunity to have the technology out there. You know, all yeah. that anglers decide which one's better. You know, this one might be better closer. This one might be better far away. This one might show fish better. This one might show hardcover better. You know, it, it's just going to be up to the anglers to decide on that. And then they're going to make their purchase and go from there. Yeah, for sure. So you'd say where the live site really didn't deliver, the active target is delivering as promised. <clears throat> absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, uh, you know, it, it's good, man. <laughs> you know, it's, it's definitely going to change the way I fish, especially offshore. You know, I already see it at Rayburn, you know, right now out there, um, the fish are on the bottom, like mm -hmm. so tight at the bottom, they're not even graphing. And I'm having to go over these little acute areas that I know they're at that they get and feed on. And I'll see one or two on the graph and I'll turn around and get on the trolling motor, turn on the active target. And there'll be hundreds of them down there, but they're so close to the bottom and you know, you're catching them. You know, and these are fishing like 25, 30 feet deep and they got mud on their guts and they look like little cockroaches or fleas crawling around on the bottom there. And you can tell that they're down there, but, and then you're able to target those fish individually. Um, my favorite is when you see one suspended and you reel it up and you can sit there and watch them and how they behave and, and different things. Um, I'm still learning how to use the scout mode effectively. Mm -hmm. um, once I get it dialed in, it's, there's some things that I think I can do with it. Um, but I've gone out some to prepare for different events for the season. It's like, okay, let me go down a seawall on another lake or let me go look at some docks and see if I can figure this out and catch a fish on a dock with it. Or what can I figure out? You know, I see fish on this channel swing. You know, can I catch these? What species are these? And so there's still, again, that learning curve. Um, one, one of the problems that I've got that a lot of people that have forward shooting sonar uh, that they have is trying to figure out how to aim. And that's going to be with any of the units, any of the troll motors and everything, keeping your bait in that window and yeah, I'm starting to work with a company and I'm not sponsored by them, but they make a good product. And I'm waiting for mine to get here. It's got a right height turret. Um, they're supposed to be sending me one here pretty soon to, to play around with. 
And I told him, I'm going to be honest with it and everything else, but it's, and you're going to see more of this market open up for these aftermarket, you know, mounts that mount onto a trolling motor or off the side of a boat that are going to be mechanical. And so you're going to be able to have an arrow on there and a foot control button of some type where you're able to turn that, that uh, transducer to see whatever direction you want opposite of where your trolling motor is going. Because one of the biggest problems when you've got the other stuff is when you anchor lock down or spot lock down, you're, you're stuck at whatever you're looking at. So now you'll be able to anchor lock down and you're going to turn the boat and you're going to see, you're going to be able to turn that transducer around to fan around. You know, I think Sukov called it sweeping. I think mm-hmm. is what he called it, you know, where you're going to sweep that, that transducer around to look and see what's around you. Or now I'm at a dock and I'm going to be able to fan that dock and move on to the next one or keep that trolling motor or that, that active target where say I'm going perpendicular or paralleling down a bank, uh, you know, and you're, you're going to be, 15 yards off the bank, you know, and I can have that active target now shooting perpendicular off the boat as I'm going or at a 45 or whatever you think is the right. Yeah. So you're going to be able to see fish like that and you're going to be able to target fish differently. And then guys will be like, well, I've got a 360 so I can see a lot of that stuff anyway. And I was like, well, that's great, but you can't see that fish as it moves. And so one of the learning curve deals that people have, especially with like scout mode, is if you're moving the boat too fast, and this is one of the problems I had initially when I started playing with it was, you know, we tend to move too quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're moving too fast, that fish typically isn't moving that fast. And you're not recognizing fish sitting there until they move. And so if you're sitting still, you can actually watch and see what those fish do. But if you see one move off real quick, that fish is spooked and you're not going to catch it anyway. So those are some of the learning curve deals, how to aim and slowing down to be able to see what, understand what you're saying that, that I'm having to work on. So it'll be useless for KBD is what you're saying. Uh, no, he's going to find a way to catch them with it. I mean, <laughs> in the, here's the deal. Every angler on tour is going to find a way to be able to use it for right. their style of fishing. They're going to turn it up on their strengths. They're going to figure out how to leverage it to make what they do good even better. So, yeah. And there's going to be uh, times, like I've told several guys that I know how they fish and you know they're about to get theirs and we're going to Okeechobee. And I flat out told them, I said, dude, you don't want to mount that on your boat yet because it's going to be a grass catcher. And if you're a shallow, go up in the slop, you know, type of guy, you're going to be picking grass off of it all day long and it's going to be a detriment to you, you know? So it might be, you just want to wait till we go to Smith Lake or put it on after Okeechobee because if you're just getting it now and you haven't learned how to use it, Okeechobee's not going to be the lake to go learn how to do that. You know, but you better have it on when you go to Smith Lake because if you've got a blueback herring deal going on, you know, for pre-spawn fish or you're fishing docks with a jerk bait or swim bait, you're fixing to get your feelings hurt if you don't have technology like that. Yeah. So right now, yours is mounted to the shaft? It, it is. I've got it mounted So it's linked to your – so when you turn your trolling motor head, your unit is turning. But going to find a mount where you can control it independently, that's what you're going to move towards. Yes. Right. And, you know, okay. in Rayburn, the wind's going to blow this time of year. So a lot of the videos I've got where it looks like I'm steady, I've got an anchor locked down, I'm facing straight into, you know, the fish, um, you know, and that would be how you'd have to, you know, fish brush piles and stuff with it mounted on your shaft. You know, if you're going to anchor lock down on a spot, you'd have to play the wind, get directly downwind from something to be able to see it perfectly. Um, you know, nobody ever really talks about, any of that technology on real windy days, being able to see and do everything else, because it's going to be hard to keep it steady, you know, 
with the cone there, trying to keep your bait in the cone and everything else. So. Yeah, like if 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 your if your your spot lock your anchor mode's barely trolling motors barely staying in the water between three footers, that image ain't going to be so clear on your live target on your active target. <laughs> no, I edited those videos out. <laughs> You're not seeing those where all of a sudden it blips in and out. I was out it's there like, the other day. We had, 20, yeah. we had 28 mile an hour sustained winds on a guide trip. And uh, that was one of the most brutal days I've been on Rayburn in a long time. And, you know, it, you get half an image, <laughs> but it is what it is on that deal. Yeah, John. So there, there, there's, there's a lot of people that are homemaking stuff. There's people, there's companies that are working on things and coming out with aftermarket stuff. And I'm sure over time, the, the, the manufacturers are partner with people to produce these things for them, but they're basically going to have either static mounts that like the 360 where you just mount it statically, or there will be a, a another control that will basically allow you to turn that, whether it's manually or I'm sure there's going to be some powered ones at some point. <laughs> so there's going to be a whole nother aftermarket accessory just for leveraging these forward front facing units, regardless of what manufacturer you go with for sonar. Uh, there's going to be aftermarket, to better leverage them. Um, and, and that's what you're going to see. I mean, it, it's going to be the next advantage is what the deal is. And we're all looking for that advantage, whether it's lithium batteries, whether it's four depth finders, whether it's, you know, two power poles instead of one, you know, and now, you know, we've got four shooting sonar and, oh, but now you can't just have that. You've got to have this turret system or some sort of mechanical system to be able to optimize it even. And, you know, it, it just, when's it going to stop? I don't know. Uh, but I love seeing, you know, all these inventions and I've got some ideas of my own might be working mm -hmm. on soon. Um, but it, you know, people sit back and say, well, these pros wouldn't be anything without this technology. Well, here's the problem. For one, they could get rid of all that stuff. You can go out in a John boat and they're probably going to beat you. <laughs> um, number two, uh, the technology is there. You got to embrace it. If you don't, you're going to be left in the dust and the people that don't want to go buy it, you know, it, it, it's just one of those things. You just have to decide, do you want to get beat by a guy that has it? Do you think that's cheating? Do you think that's, you know, not fair? Well, it, it's the way fishing is and it's only going to get more technologically advanced going forward. Yeah. At the top level. I think that's true. Right. I think uh, as you <clears throat> get more local and, you know, like you don't need active target to fish your Tuesday night at league. Like you can, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so, so like take this with a grain of salt. You can go out and catch a lot of fish, have fun, be competitive at a certain, you know, your $200 team tournaments and things like that. You don't need all this. Could it help yeah. you? Yes. But it's not, uh, this, this is not a barrier to entry to the sport yet. I mean, no, so. no. No, by no means, but at the same time, you know, are you going to justify to your wife buying a $1,500 system to go out and win $200? Um, I mean, it's there's some guys you know will do it. I mean, everybody has that guy in their bass club or they know in their area that's got all the stuff who is typically talked about behind his back that's, you know, not as good as he'd like to be, you know, but he's got all the bells and whistles because he has the money to do it. You know, and it's still that man showing up with a jig. <laughs> with that that 1999 champion bass boat, you know, maybe repowered. It's still hey, using a I, 
I, I made it to the uh, Bass Nation National Championship with eleven fifty nine on or a, a nine fifty nine on the front of my boat this year. So um. <laughs> there's still guys that take their rod and stick it in the rod in, in the water and take the depth. So. Yeah, you, you go out in the BFLs, you you still might draw a guy that doesn't even have a front depth finder. <laughs> yeah. the, the sad part is, you know, when you look at these high school events and college tournaments, I mean, you got guys out there like in a bass tracker going against the kid whose dad's got the money you know, to have all the units, got the $100,000 bass boat set up and everything else. And, I mean, it's, it, you know, it, it's unfortunate that it's not fair on that degree, um, but it, it is what it is at this point. I mean, it's there's no going back on that. I think you're going to start yeah. seeing some specialty events or clubs where it's going to be like, all right, no, no depth finders, or, you know, you can't only have two, or you can't use this technology. I think you're going to start seeing some of those events start popping up. Yeah, I, know I, for I wouldn't be surprised if some of the like <clears throat> the local stuff outlawed front facing or some of that active sonar. You know what I mean? Like at like the the I mean like the basic like local leagues. I wouldn't be surprised if they're like, hey guys, we're all fishing for fifty bucks. You know, <laughs> we're not using live scope and active target in these events. We're not. You know what I mean? Like this is a friendly deal. We're not letting tech. You know, so I, mean, I could see that. I mean, I don't foresee that at higher level tournaments, but I think at local, you might see that. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, and, and again, that's, that's guys with sour grapes that don't have the equipment, you know, and that's typically what you end up seeing with that sort of deal. They don't want to spend the money on it. Um, it's just another way to exclude somebody that's beating them, whether it's hard work, um, you know, or they've got the technology to do it and they figured it out. Sure. But again, it's going to be a lot of people that have the technology that do terrible. And we've seen, oh, we saw sure. that last year on tour. There were some big name superstars that had the technology that did terrible at different events. So it's still not the magic bullet to be most successful. Yeah. There's definitely situations where you can't beat it, but there's plenty of situations where it's not the silver bullet either. So, um, <clears throat> so there was a couple of questions that I wanted to circle back on that people had based on your experience, how effective, like what is the max depth you think this front facing sonar is, uh, Good to like. When is it? When are there diminishing returns? I have I have no clue on the max depth on that deal. I have yet to run it deeper than than thirty five feet. Um, so because that's what I've experienced to this point. Most bass are caught shallower than thirty five feet. <laughs> so uh, I mean, it, obviously you got walleye guys and people fishing in a lot of clear water impoundments that are looking for for options for that. Um, I will tell you, I have used the scout mode, uh, and I I got a video of a car. That's on my, my YouTube page. And we looked at that car in scout mode. And I'm, I'm editing that video still. But that car was in 25 to 28 foot of water. And you could clearly see the car. You could see fish, you know, in the vicinity and everything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have used it up to 25 feet. Um, but as far as deeper than that, I just haven't tried it yet. So you can verify that it's effective out to 25, 30 feet. <laughs> the scout so mode. I can see I, in this video, you know, and again, I'm trying to make shorter videos because most people do not want to sit there and watch a very long video. They want to see if they're trying to get the information they want to see, you know, mm-hmm. and most of my demographic for this isn't kids. This is not necessarily people under the age of 25. I'm getting that that group of guys that can afford the equipment and they're trying to make their decisions whether they want to buy, you know, an active target or a live scope or whatever else they want to buy. You know, and so I'm trying to cater to those guys that are looking for that information to make them better. And, you know, so this video I've got in scout mode, it was like 16 minutes of, 
you know, a seawall and it's got some interesting stuff. It's, I've got a video on that same clip right there where I came by a dock and missed a fish and I got that video up. The next time I'm editing there, I've got a brush pile and you can see me throwing a DT6 down the edges of a brush pile on scout mode. And then I've got a video of a structural piece where you can actually see like a roadbed or, or bottom composition where it's piled up with dirt, you know, out there and 18 feet as it goes around. And then I find a brush pile and then I can see that car, you know, so it, it gives a variety of the different things you can see bottom composition and everything else. Yeah. Um, you talked about, you talk about scout mode. Is that just a setting? Is that uh, what, what is scout mode for those that maybe don't know? Uh, and is that just a, a setting or is there a transition change or a depth a transducer change how does that work <clears throat> yeah so there's three settings on it there's a forward there's a down and a scout mode and how you change between them is you're able to twist a knob loosen a knob and it's got uh clicks that are on a tooth uh yeah screw screw in you actually change the angle the transducer sits on the shaft that's right you're able to click it till it lines up with the two spacers and then put it back and you know twist the knob tight and you're ready to go hit the button and it swaps you over and you're you're in business okay and the scout mode is more of a horizontal right more of a horizontal i can't remember what the actual cone angle is on it but it, i mean it's 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 pretty wide you know, I've got a video of an underwater bridge there. I'm panning it around. You can see like the the uh, the bridge when it was dry on Google Earth and the water was low. Um, mm-hmm. I'll have that video probably here the next week or so. And you can actually see the the width of that bridge on that scout mode. And obviously the further the further away you are, the wider the cone's gonna get to see things out in the distance. So Yeah. So how effective distance from the boat have you seen it be effective so far? Uh, as far as finding the structure or seeing fish or bait or what? All of the above. Like what, I mean, what are you seeing at different levels? I've, I've used it up as far as 120 feet. I mean, obviously you're not going to, to get near the clarity as you are up close for something mm-hmm. that, that distance. Uh, I've seen a bait out as far as, as 60 feet on the scout mode. But again, the hardest part is, is again, trying to find your bait is again, you're looking at a big area in this cone. And it's, where's this tiny little bait going to be at out here? And so unless there's some sort of movement, you know, I haven't looked at the jerk bait. Uh, and that's how, one of the ways that a lot of guys are using that technology is jerking or A-rigging. Of course, a big A-rig comes through the water. Right. You're going to see that a lot better on that screen. But, you know, when I can see a DT6 crankbait going through the water or a Ned rig, um, I mean, that's pretty good. <laughs> so right. it, it, it's all going to vary. And again, I'm sure... Uh, that there's going to be more updates to come out. that are going to make things crisper and cleaner. And, you know, there's going to be guys that are going to say, well, you know, yours is showing this pinging and this and that. Well, again, I don't run any filters. Because I want to see absolutely everything out there. Been a couple questions about batteries. Are you doing anything special? Excuse me. A couple of people have asked about batteries. Are you doing anything special battery wise or just running everything off? Uh, your outboard motor or you have a a dedicated battery or what is your setup? All right. So my battery setup last year, uh, I had two 31 AGM batteries rigged in parallel that I used for cranking and for my uh, electronics and accessories and everything else. Uh, Again, Jones trolling motor and Texarkana rigged my boat up. They're going to do my 2021. Also, they rewired my Skeeter and put eight gauge wire directly from the batteries uh, to the units. Uh, and then we spliced off that with 10 gauge, uh, you know, up, up to the units, uh, off a breaker box in the front. And 
that active target actually has three uh, plug-in slots on it, three outlets. One of them is for transducer, one of them is for Ethernet that you're going to run to your, uh, your depth finder, and then the other mm -hmm. one is the power cable that you're going to connect to. Now, the two 31 AGMs were connected to two 36-volt, uh, 60-amp-hour lithium batteries uh, that were rigged in parallel for my ghost trolling motor, and all of that was connected together with a power pole charge. You know, people ask me about that charge, and I, I can't tell you if it's good or bad because I never knew it was there. My batteries always worked. They were always charged. This is the first year in my entire career I did not have a single battery issue the entire year. You know, those days of sitting in a Walmart parking lot, changing out a battery at midnight in the rain, those were over. Um, I, I'm running a miscellaneous brand of lithium batteries. Um, <laughs> you know, it, I mean, they don't even have a name on them. I got them from, you know, let's just say a guy off the street. Um, <laughs> but um, he might not have spoke English. And, you know, that setup right there, I, I was able to go. That charge was, my batteries were always hot. <laughs> Uh, I plug it in, I look at the app, you know, and, and say, all right, I've got 78% left right here, you know, left to go. And every night, wake up the next morning, everything would be hot, ready to go. And it, I can't say enough about that whole system right there. Yeah. So, but I mean, they are parallel, but you basically, for lack of better terms, have a battery dedicated to your electronics because you're, yes. yeah. I've got so. 200, 200 amp hours between the 231 AGMs. You know, yeah. so between my crank and battery and electronics and all that, you know, and one of the reasons they're rigging parallel is, you know, for the charging purposes. Yeah. So as running the motor, it's still charging all that through the charge system. And, you know, it's it gives me that, you know, I'm going to have power throughout the day. You know, you can almost make it through one whole day by using one battery. But <laughs> now, you know, I thought about putting three in there just just for a safeguard. You know, and you think, well, that's a lot of expense. And again, it comes down to this is a business. And I've lost so much money in my career of batteries being dead, not being able to jump off one, trolling motor batteries limping. Nothing will piss you off more than at one o'clock. You're on 100 and it's like you're on 40 and you're trying to go somewhere and you can't. Um, or, you know, you get there and you hear that whoa, 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 and you can't jump a battery off. I mean, I carry a lithium jump box just in case also for that aspect. But at the same time, you do what you can to give you every advantage to be successful. And you can only control so many things through the course of the the day. And the elements yeah. on your boat are some of the things you can control. Yeah. And that power pole gives you that, – that charge system gives you the – I think there's a built-in jump system. So you basically have <clears throat> multiple sets of redundancy to make sure you're going to make it the way in. <clears throat> Absolutely. <laughs> and I carry jumper cables. I mean, it, it yeah. you know, a lot of times you carry that stuff to help somebody out. And, you know, sometimes you need the help. You know, it's funny. You carry the jumper cable so that you can throw them to them and you can keep going. Because <laughs> you're okay with giving them $20 of jumper cables if you don't see them again. <laughs> or I've actually used the clips before to grab onto stuff. You know, dock sure. cable. You know, yeah. to, to hold yourself on, you know, or, or, you know, a stump, you know, a limb. I've used them to bite onto stuff and to clip on, you know, there's all sorts of creative ways on how to use some of these, these things that we carry. Yeah. That's a big deal for crappie fishermen. They like to use jumper cables to hold on to trees. <laughs> I don't think they call it that, but <laughs> it's something similar. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. 
So are you so far, have you had much luck in, in fish ID? Is that something you think you can learn? What are your, I mean, like seeing the difference between a bass versus a gar versus a drum versus a crappie, like, yeah, you think that um, was much time? Yeah, you know, a lot of times, you know, what we've learned on using, you know, structure scan and, and 2D sonar and stuff is the way that the fish relate to each other and relate to the bottom typically tells you, you know, what type of species they are. Um, but with that active target, I'm actually seeing the shape of some of these fish. And I posted a, a video of a giant fish that comes on and I call it like Big Mama or something like that. I can tell you right now, that's not a bass. If you look at that video and you can see it, uh, you can actually start seeing the fins and everything else. That's a big buffalo, probably, if I had to guess. And the neat thing that I, that I when you go back and watch it, is you can actually tell, like, on the head, how hard and thick the head is. And when you think about it, I don't know if you've cleaned fish before or messed around with a fish, but the, the body mass is, is muscle tissue. And that muscle tissue shows up one way but when you get to the head of a fish it is so hard that it shows a brighter return and you know i think i can learn on some of these bigger fish exactly what species they are based off of you know the hardness of the head i know on the 2d sonar you can kind of tell where the where the swim bladders are located at you know to try and do some fish id so there's some bigger fish but uh you know that one was definitely a buffalo in that video some of these bass you know, I know they're bass because I caught them, but I can tell in the active target the way they move, you know, are they white bass, the way they're grouping up, the way they respond to the bait, slashing at it, mm -hmm. different things. Say, These are white bass, you know, crappie obviously stack differently. Um, so you can actually start telling some of that information. Well, it doesn't like it when I try to play a video and stream at the same time. <laughs> it doesn't I live load. in the country. I understand that. That's where I use my phone instead of the laptop. Uh-oh. All right, here we go. So what you were talking about? So there's your bait hopping, yeah, right? Like your bait yep. just hopping that, right there. Yep. See right. But this there. is what you're saying. Like you could tell from that structure that this. Yep. Oh, there's your bait coming down now. Yep. So when he's disappearing and coming in, do you feel like he's on the edge of your angle? Is that why we're seeing him kind of show up and not show up? Yeah, he's coming in and out of that angle. But it's a neat because you can actually see those fish turn a lot of times, and, and you'll see them come in and out. Um, but what, what's amazing is you can watch these fish come from a long ways out there straight towards the boat, and it doesn't make any sense. And I don't have a hydrowave, and I wonder if this would be a good indicator if the hydrowave actually worked. You know, there's sure. still some, some you know controversy on that. But those fish are coming towards the boat a lot of times. You know, I know smallmouth have a tendency to gravitate towards the boat and, uh, you know, use the shadow of the boat. And you're going to see more stuff like that. But, yeah, that fish is moving in and out right there. And, I mean, I'm anchor locked down, so I'm not having to chase it around at all. If you want, there's a video there. I think it's called, like, Director's Cut. There's a lot of different videos, aspects there that you can learn a lot of fish behavior off that video. And that was just a bunch of just, like, cool fish catches and things if you want to play that one. I want to turn it down. It's got some dubstep or something going on. <laughs> we got it muted. They figured we needed extra noise. Um, so you, you post a video, and of course, the old guys are like, "Well, I can't get over listening to the music." And then some guys are like, "Well, that music's boring." And 
All right. So this this first part here, uh, that's shad. Bait ball. Watch a bass yep. come up through that shad right there. You know, this one here. That's a that's a uh, a lunker hunt hatch spin, which is a tail spinner hopping, and that fish grabs it. Yeah, you can see the bait falling, and you watch that fate that fish come down and grab it. And that's a Ned rig just going down. You know, right here, I think we'll get multiple fish come up and try and grab a bait. But you can see them kind of on the bottom. You don't realize how many fish are there. In the last part of this video, I stick one, and there's so many there. Again, that's another tail spinner right there. Ooh. Okay. And you watch that fish miss it several times, and you don't realize how many fish have come after your bait. Or, yeah, they you basically know, disappear into the bottom, and then when they get excited, they start showing themselves. Yeah, here's another shad one there to the right, I think. Yeah. Now, this next, this last part of this video, it, it's amazing how many fish are right here. And you hear guys say, well, I counted six fish. Well, most of the time when it, when somebody's telling you how many they're seeing on a depth finder, they have wow. no clue how many are there. And those are bass? Those are bass. It's the juice right there. <laughs> <laughs> That's just another stop. That's it. So. That doesn't get you fired up. <laughs> I don't know what does. Yeah. <laughs> It never gets old, man. It, I mean, you can sit there and look at it all day. And again, you become a slave to that, catching them on it. It's so much fun that that you don't want to do anything else. And it's crazy because you'll throw a buoy out, you know, and you'll start tracking after a fish. You'll start following them around and you realize, well, I've gone 100 yards from my buoy, you know, and you're still on fish. But you're able to see, okay, every angler out there at some point has said to themselves, I wonder how many fish have actually seen my bait today. And when you watch those videos and see the way these fish behave, you know, it's amazing how many fish have actually bit at that bait that you had no clue about. Yeah. You know, then, or, go ahead. I was going to say, we that'll give you a lot of information as far as like, am I like, one, you start to know if you're around fish, right? Two, you start, we talked about this with Josh last week and he could see that even with the live site to some degree is like, you know, fishing small eyes and malax, like, if you throw out a Ned rig and they don't respond or they actually like go away. Right. And then you throw in a jerk bait and now you see that they're starting to pay attention to it. And now maybe you just need to change the color, right? Like it can really help you cycle through your baits uh, to make better decisions faster. Well, you, know, you can fail, fail faster with this technology. So well, I, I tell people that there's basically three things that you're going to do whenever you see one on the graph and two of them are going to be wrong. It's no different than if you're throwing a swim bait and you get a follower or you get that follower mm-hmm. on your bait. You know, are you going to twitch it? You're going to shake it? You're going to keep swimming it? So, like, you know, I'm, I'm dropping a Ned rig a lot of times on these fish. You know, I find that, you know, I'm using a heavier Ned rig. It, it works better vertically than a drop shot a lot of times. I can do more with it. Um, I have more control with it. But at the same time, when that fish is sitting there looking at it, do I shake it? Do I snap it? Do I let it just sit there and do nothing? And most of the time what I'm learning is the less we do, the better it is. And, you know, or you do it dramatically, you know, and I'll snap the crap out of it and you'll realize, okay, the way that fish moves and gets whiplash, it's no different than sight fishing for one on a bed. You Mm kind of know that that fish is going to bite when he gets whiplash or he does something in response. So if I'm holding a bait right there and it's suspended, and I've, I've got one coming to it and it's sitting there looking at it. If I snap it up real quick or lift it up a foot or even just drop it a foot, however that fish behaves on that deal, you know, I know whether or not that fish is going to bite at that point. But at the same time, without that technology, I wouldn't have had a shot at that fish. Mm-hmm. So it will 100% put more fish in the boat for me every single 
guide trip at Rayburn. You know, I still have to see how I can apply it, you know, in the real world, you know, beyond the home lake where I know where to go. But it absolutely has changed my trips because it's like, all right, they're still down here. I know that I'm getting bites. They're, they're reacting to the bait. They're not, you know, what do I need to do different? And yeah. it's changing when you're on the fish. My dad says uh, he's, he fishes, he's not, he lives in uh, Zapata in the winter on Falcon. Does a lot of crappie fishing. Little bit, he does more crappie fishing all, every time you know, as days go on. Less, less about that. And because it's literally turned crappie fishing into harvesting. Because once he sees them in a bush or a tree or whatever, it's just a matter of cycling through the profiles or the colors of his lures that he's going to hold in their face. And once he figures out the profile and the color, then it's just, <laughs> just I catch got, him. I got a buddy that guides for crappie and he's got a shirt that says, I was a crappie guy before LiveScope. <laughs> because now everybody thinks they're a crappie guy because it's too easy. And, you know, at some point, at what point does the technology make it where we're, we're depleting the fish? I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, where's you look at when an A-Rig first came out, it was molesting fish that had never seen baits before. It was catching mm-hmm. fish that weren't meant to be caught at that point. And now you got this active target that's catching fish that had never seen a bait before or were uncatchable at some point in time, you know? So it's, it's definitely changing the pressure and the way fish behave and everything else. Yeah. John, uh, MLF doesn't have fantasy fishing, so you can't put Clark on your fantasy team. So <laughs> I'm usually, I'm usually not the best pick for fantasy fishing. We've learned that through the years, haven't we? <laughs> but what I'm good at is cashing a lot of checks and getting a lot of points, you know? So, well, in in the bass system where there's buckets, you'd have you can you can have good value, right? But uh, in the, in the old FLW system where you really needed to have like five guys in the top ten all the time was a little tougher. Um, yeah, yeah. My track record is not a whole lot of top tens, you know, but it's a whole lot of twentieth through fiftieth place benches. Uh, do I anticipate the Minnesota DNR limiting technology? Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't think so. The, the A-Rig thing is really just old law. They didn't do anything new with the A-Rig. That's just old laws that have now covered the A-Rig. So, no, I don't think. I think they're more likely just to reduce creel limits and possession limits and things like that. So, if you're going to go out and catch your – instead of being able to go catch 20 crappie, you're only going to be able to catch 10. And <clears throat> instead of it taking you all day to catch 10, now it's going to take you 20 minutes to catch 10. <clears throat> so You know where to go. <laughs> right. Um. Cool. It's it's hard for them to police the technology anyway. Yeah. I mean, that's a boil down to it's it's gonna be hard to tell people you can't buy this. You know, you look at duck hunting. You know, when like Mojo ducks and these these different mechanical ducks came out. You know, that's a little bit easier to police. Um, but you know, as far as somebody having depth finders, it, it's just the evolution of of where the sport's going. It's no different yeah. than any other sport. I mean. I mean, you look at baseball. Baseball seems to be one of the, the purest sports out there. So using wooden bats, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, they're still using gloves, you know. And so it just, you know, it, it just part of it. You know, you look at race car driving, there's always technologies to make cars better and faster. And it's unfortunate. Again, it comes down to who's going to outspend everybody else to make a better car. <laughs> Ryan says he's been on on Team Ream <clears throat> since the Elite days, so he loves to to keep up. So, thank you. Um, maybe talk a little bit. We kind of talked a little bit about this. Um, 
I think as much as this technology can help people, I think it has the potential to distract people and like almost overload them with information at times or get them hung up almost like no different than getting hung up on a sight fish. You know, you could be getting hung up on fish. Like what are your thoughts on that? Like I think a big part of the learning curve beyond using it is to be learning what to do with this information and still learn when they're not biters and when they are biters and and, and maybe speak to that, what you've seen so far. It's going to be just another skill set. There's going to be guys that excel at it and guys that don't. And you know, you're right about it being just like sight fishing for a bed fish. You know, the thing is, that is your end game. If you're chasing a fish with it, with that active target, you know, and you're following it and you're casting at it repeatedly, repeatedly. And I hear stories about guys following a fish from a dock to a dock to a dock, you know, and you catch that fish and it ends up being a three pounder. Could you have caught a five pounder or an eight pounder just fishing without it, blind casting? If I'm stuck fit looking at one underneath the boat and I'm trying to get these to bite right here, would I have been better off throwing a Carolina rig over there and catching one instead of worrying about the technology? And, you know, it, it's going to be that learning curve. You know, you're going to hear guys, you know, talk about it behind the stage, maybe not in public, where, yeah, it screwed them up. You know, it's just another decision that they're going to make. You know, how long do they spend on fish that they see there can't get them to bite? Just like, you know, okay, you sat there for two hours on a bed fish, never got it to bite. And so it's just another tool that... Again, I said it before, it's going to be detrimental to a lot of guys in the, their style of fishing, especially these old school purists that, that haven't embraced the technology at this point regardless anyway. You know, with these new guys, that's these young kids that are all about the technology, and that's eliminating the learning curve for success. They're the ones that you're seeing that are about to dominate with it. You look at Wheeler, you look at uh, Patrick Walters. Um, I'm sure there was a lot more events that it played a major factor you know or it could have for other anglers to be more successful yeah good eye chad roll back to the beginning uh and uh, get the scoop on that um yeah and i think it's still situational right like i didn't know watching some of wheeler's stuff there were times that he didn't even necessarily have the live on his boat and there were times he'd he definitely relied more on the 360, depending on the situation. Or he sometimes he didn't have either of them, right? If it was a shallow spring deal where he knew he was going to, like, he just took them off. So they weren't in the way. They weren't, you know. So um, I think there's, like, I, I, I'm actually thinking that I'm probably more interested in the 360 this year for me for the type of fishing I most often do in Minnesota. I think it has more potential to help me more times than maybe the live uh hummingbird when it comes out but that'll we'll see but well i I tell you something i've got uh, to combat that also you know again another lawrence product is Mm -hmm. they just came out with a three-in-one cone to go on that ghost trolling motor used to be the two-in-one had the 2d and and the down imaging and now they've got the three-in-one so it's got the upgraded three uh side or structure scan transducer on the trolling motor now so by having that on the trolling motor i'm gonna be able to see off each side of it as i'm moving and then I can put that tro- uh, the active target on scout mode and see the gap in the blind spot right there in front of the boat and see it all live. So I'm going to have the best of all of it right there. Sure. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm saying there's other products and these like I don't think you know none of these technologies necessarily supersede. They all work together as a system, and, yeah. um, and there's there's a lot that goes into it. And you kind of got to make your decision based on where you fish, how you fish. 
what level you're fishing at, what your budget is and, and make your decisions. So. Absolutely. And look, I know crappie fishermen that have a boat that probably costs $2,000 and have $10,000 in electronics on this boat just to go catch crappie. <laughs> so yeah. it does, it's just, again, it's just another advantage. If you want to pay for an advantage, that's, that's life anymore. Yep. Um, it's no different than heated seats in your SUV. <laughs> um, I mean, do you, I mean, have you used it much around like thick grass? Like, is there any application for that? Have you seen anything that I, I, any haven't, I haven't yet, even though I live at Rayburn <laughs> or a guide at Rayburn, I don't fish grass. So if you come down and want to take a trip with me and go through rattle traps, I'm going to send you to Chris McCall who's guiding down there now. And he's one of the best trappers in the country. Uh, I'm going to send you somewhere else. I'm specializing sure. in finding offshore fish. Right. And, and, and I don't fish grass anyway. Rayburn. I fish hardcover. I fish, you know, uh, natural stuff, you know, stumps, rock, clay, mm-hmm. structure type stuff. So even so, in Florida, you're not going to be punching mats? Probably not. Okay. <laughs> you know, it, I'm going to have that opportunity. It, I'll have a rod, obviously, on the deck. Is I'm not going to go with the sole purpose of flipping. You know, anybody that knows me on tour knows I am not a flipper. Um, and But I can do it. That's just it. People don't realize, right. yeah. You know, Tommy Biffle can still pull out a spinning rod and go wreck him on a finesse bait, you know, even though you don't think of that about him. All these guys can do it, but at the same time, it's not the fish that I'm going to go look for. That's not well, my It's not name. the bite you're searching out. But if you're sight fishing in a canal and you see a good looking mat, you're going to drop a, a critter in there a couple of times. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> But if you could find some shell bed and find some fish coming and going, that that would be your ideal situation. <clears throat> if I can find some sight fishing, that's what I'm going to do. But I don't foresee that happening. I hear Okeechobee's dirty right now, and most of the grass is gone. And it's I hear it's going to be a nasty event, and it's going to be hard to get bites. You know, I have some guys that went down there and they fished multiple days, and you know, yeah, you saw on Facebook that they caught a six or seven pounder, eight pounder, but they might have had three bites that whole day. So I've heard, you know, just catching. 10, 12 pounds a day is going to get paid. So, All right. Well, let's, let's have a few more viewer questions. In the meantime, since you got all this stuff you're organizing, do you got anything sneaky that you can show us, like some baits that maybe we're not thinking about or something you're uh, excited about? Or well, We know I, you're like, like a big to, free agent like when it comes to baits, but like what, what's right, this? So, so I, I do not have bait sponsors at this time. And a lot of that's because I don't want to – represent somebody's awesome bait and still have to talk about their three dog crap baits that they've got. And there's very few companies that have a hundred percent great stuff across the board. Um, So I use what I want and what I think is optimum uh, for every job. You know, I'm not going to sit there and put Yamamoto Cinco's in a, in a yum dinger bag. Um, I'm not going to sit there and lie about what I'm throwing. I'm not going to say I caught them on a wild eye shiner and really caught them on electric crap jerk bait. You know, we know what tournament that was. You know, so, I mean, I can just kind of go through different stuff. Yeah, like uh, you said, like a heavy Ned is a big deal for you. What's your heavy Ned plastic of choice right now? Man, I, I actually use, you know, the Z-Man. Um, because, again, I'm on okay. a, and you can see right here, I've got just several piled up. i got a whole pile of them down here. Um, like just a TRD, like the big TRD? Are you a Ticklers guy? Like what's... I'm, I'm more of just the TRD guy. I, I okay. use all three sizes of the TRD, the giant, the big, and the finesse. You know, a lot of people don't know about the giant one, but it's almost like a seven-inch Cinco, and I'll put it on a football head jig. Uh, I've been throwing a, uh, where's it at? A Picasso uh, 
football head, tungsten football head jig. It's got a little three-wire weed guard on it. Mm-hmm. And I'm driving around like a football head jig. And it stands up. And it's like a big Senko. It's just something different. Um, don't get a lot of bites on it, but they're all big when I get them. Um, but the regular just TRD worm is, is the one I throw because I might have the same one tied on for three days. A guide trip is going to last. And the deal is my favorite color. Just about every lake I go to, they eat a color called the deal, which is yeah. green popped in with a bluish shad color hue on the other yeah, side. Yeah, pearl underbelly. Yep. Yep. Um, I, I've started throwing more and more big swim baits. You know, uh, I don't know if you've heard, you've heard of the like, babe. Yeah. So like soft swim baits or hard swim baits? All of it. Uh, the babe is, is one of my favorites. You can see I've got the babe is the, uh, kind of a small company reproducing the bass pro swim bait, right? Yeah. So I've got some hanging right here. Yeah, let me just and the harness, off. they make a weedless and a harness, but the harness version is the deal, right? The harness version is the deal. And so you can kind of see right there. It's got a harness on there and a hook. Looks like the Steve Kennedy bass pro swim bait. Yeah. Yeah. I'm buddies with the guys that make those. Can you see that? All right. Yeah, it looks camera. good. I heard that they're yep. not they're not necessarily making a ton of them either. No, <laughs> I've got I got the hookup. <laughs> but if you can get them, they're great. And my favorite way to fish that is skipping it underneath docks and just slow rolling it out. And if, if the lake's got docks, you know, in the two days of practice I've got, I'm going to have one rigged up and I'm going to try it for a couple hours because, again, you're fishing for bigger fish by doing that. There's there's a swim bait called the Citizen that that I like, and again they're, yep. they're hard to get. I hate these stupid bait drops, but you know that's a Citizen right there, and uh, you know it's a weedless swim bait. You know, and you sit there and you start thinking, okay, where can I use this at what what lake in the country? You know, I'm getting into the glide baits more. You know, the the Buka bull glides are good. Um, I got a ow, hook in my finger now. Hold on a second. Ow, got it. Uh, I've got one here called a Shizzard. That's pretty good. Yeah, you're, you're not buying the cheap ones either. <clears throat> well, I, I believe. I mean, they're not, not the I, ultra I, expensive ones. Look, but look, okay, I, there you go. There's there's an economic one. There's a a, a Shine Glide, right? Yeah, the the Savage Gear, the the Shine Glide. I've got uh, the Storm Marashi's good. Um, the Molex one, I, I like it. First cast are made with a Molex. I caught a six pounder. Uh, so. You know, but again, it's, do you have time and two days of practice to play with that? But, you know, when you start dealing with tournament grade stuff, I mean, you can look right here. That's a whole bag full of like 0.5 Academy square bills. The H2Os. You know, yeah. The H2Os. I've made a ton of money on the H2Os. Uh, there's some, some, uh, some Cordell uh, big O's in there too that I like throwing. You know, it, if you're going to go on a trip with me at Rayburn, you know, we throw a lot of jigging spoons. This War Eagle jigging spoon is, we, we make a lot of money on that jigging spoon. Uh, there's a bait uh, by Lunker Hunt. It's called the Hatch Spin, which is like a tail spinner. Hmm. Yeah, okay. I throw, throw that bait a lot. That's one I'm not familiar with. That's that's a nugget. All right. Yeah, because for all the weird stuff that Lunker Hunt seems to have with spiders and everything else, that bait right there, people don't know about. It's one of the few tail spinners that has a willow leaf blade on the back. There's no wrong way to work it. Uh, guide clients find it easy. You can vertical jig it. You can cast it. You can reel it back to the boat. You can launch it a mile. It's good. Uh, as far as heavy Ned rigs, uh, again, I'm not sponsored by any of these companies, but I'm throwing the Woo and the, the Swagger Tungsten. Um, 
So you yeah, like a tungsten. That, that was one thing I was going to ask you earlier. Does tungsten show up way better on that uh, active target? I haven't noticed a correlation, but you got to remember okay. that's a tiny little head right there that you're dealing with. I just uh, thought because would it give you a brighter, denser, right? Because it's so hard, dense and hard. It, it all looks the same um, okay. that I've seen. And when I chunk it out there, you know, it, it's cool. because it, it almost looks ethereal, you know, where it's, it'll like glide around and you can see it in some of those videos. It has like, it almost looks like gold slogger, uh, yep. the gold flakes in there going down. <laughs> uh let's let's see what else we got here oh look right here for all you boys up in wisconsin i got a bunch of bravarnies right there the bravarnies yeah oh dude Solid. I, I made some money at the uh the open at uh at neely henry skipping that deal and uh i've got a trick i'm gonna do a video on you want to see a trick on how to rig a bravarnies that i got might as well all right hold on a second let me let me grab that, okay here's the deal. everybody has to like promise to go over and subscribe to Clark's channel if he's going to share this nugget. So he needs he needs to get a thousand subscribers so he can start profiting his uh, live target videos or active target videos. <laughs> All right. So one of my uh, favorite swim jig trailers, I, I throw two swim jig trailers. I throw a, uh, a skinny dipper, whether it yep. be a little dipper, the full size dipper. Yeah. The reaction innovations. I, yep. Yep. Or I throw a uh, Zoom Z Craw or Z Craw Junior. You know, if they're eating brim. Or I want a, uh, you know, more of a light or a, a swim jig to, to go higher in the water column. I throw the uh, the Z crawl. Yeah. If they're eating Chad, then I throw the skinny dipper. All right. So on the you know Wisconsin style swim jigs, yep. almost all of them have some sort of little metal barb on there. Yep. Okay. Wire keeper, bait keeper. Yep. Wire keeper, bait keeper. And the problem is your bait slides down if you catch one or two fish and then it tears up. Well, to do this trick. I'm going to use my wacky O-ring tool. I'm going to stick that skinny dipper or little dipper. Just the tip. The hole, and I'm just going to put the tip. <laughs> ha, 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 ha. Shut up. <laughs> All right. So I'm just going to put it on there just a little bit, about a quarter of an inch. Oh, went a little far. Onto the head. So you can see it's on there. And that way, whenever I shove that little dipper up the shank and put it on, I'm going to make sure that that barb or that uh, that O-ring goes above that wire keeper, and it's going to hold it on. So if you're skipping it, it's going to hold that trailer on a whole lot longer. Yeah, that also it. works really good with, I don't know if you've used the clear wacky bands like Arsenal does. Yeah, uh, like those silicone tubes, you can do the same thing, or you can put it down by the hook, and then it'll actually grab it there too, and then work, you know, together. So those are both really good options for rigging uh, yep. any kind of trailers on jigs for sure. Um, there was a question about uh, somebody said they bought some shine glides. Uh, where do you like to use them? I like use them over grass. Um, okay. when I do, when I do fish grass, that's, that's, you know, you typically need a little bit clearer water and th there's a guy on Rayburn that was actually catching on it at one point in time. Uh, and he had caught a pretty good one day and turned me onto that, that glide bait. And I've since used it at other lakes and I don't do anything fancy with it. it I mean, those, it seems like those cheaper glide baits, just they're, they're easy to use and they get bit, you know, again, I, if I had to pick between the three cheap ones I, I mentioned, that Storm Arashi 
seems to be my favorite. It just, it seems to get big bites and clear water, especially, but if, if there's grass, you know, that's four foot underneath the water, you know, those fish are still sitting in the top of that grass. Yeah. You know? And if you run that glide bait across underneath the surface, you know, they're going to come up out of that grass and eat it or they're going to follow it, you know? And yeah. so you just got to figure out how to do it. And for your glide baits, are you mostly using like natural shad profiles or are you using the ones that are a little bit louder and more obnoxious? Nah, I'm just using whatever shad pattern. I, I'm not one of those guys that really prescribes to color as much. Um, I think it's about finding catchable fish more than anything. I don't worry about dipping the tail in chartreuse, you know, like some of these guys. Oh, it's got to have 13 red flakes and all this other stuff. I mean, I just, I think when you find them, you know, and that's just the experience I've got. You know, when you find them, they're going to eat green pepper. Yeah. They're, they're going to eat black and blue. They're going to eat June bug. And I'm trying to simplify a lot of stuff, even though it looks like I got it so many things, you know, you know, with crankbaits. I mean, they're going to throw a crawfish, a shad, or a brim. I mean, it, it's it's that simple. And I don't care if this shad's got purple back and this one's got a black back. You know, it, it's just all the same to me. Yeah. Uh, I think you kind of talked about this earlier. Uh, do different lines show up differently on the active target? Yeah, the braid, the braid definitely shows up a lot better. You can see the fluorocarbon a lot of times, but when I'm throwing that leader, it's a lot thinner. So it, it doesn't show up nearly as well as as the braid does. But I've seen fluorocarbon on other baits, you know, out there in the water. But the braid I think you, Did you say you had, earlier you were saying you had a Carolina rig with the braid main line? Or no, was that, no. Or was that a finesse? It was a bro, yeah, braid was to pearl leader, and you could see the braid really clearly, and then the fluoro kind of disappeared, and then you saw your yeah. net, like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What's neat is, you know, I've thrown out a marker buoy and you can see on the, the forward uh, mode, you can see the string on the marker buoy out there out in front of you. Yeah. That's good. So cool. If you run trot lines, hey, you don't even have to pull them up. You can just look at your trot line with a forward mode. There you go. Commercial okay. fishing, new, new avenues. Awesome. Well, that's some good nuggets. Um, anything else you wanted to touch on, Clark? No, I mean I can show you more stuff here in the in the shop if you want. Or I mean, we yeah, let's let if you got a couple more nuggets, and we'll let people if they have any more questions, we'll we'll a few more minutes right. and then we'll here, keep this here's close. Something a little different. Sure. You know what this? You know what this is? I do not. Is that like a? It, <laughs> you get, <laughs> It sounds funny, but that is a fingernail drying okay. lamp. It's a sure. UV lamp. Okay, so when when somebody goes and gets their fingernails painted at, at uh, get a manicure, you know, you put it in there and it dries the nail polish. Well, I use nail polish for stuff. I use paint. Sure. I use glue. That UV light will make your stuff dry a lot faster and harder. And so for 15 bucks, you can get a UV light, you know, to dry yeah. baits, to dry glue knots. So when, so um, when you're doctoring up baits late at night before the tournament, you can fast cure them and then you can get to bed. <laughs> that's right so you bring that on the road is that is that travel with you to the tournaments no I'll, I'll leave it here you know whenever i'm doing some bait tweaks and everything else um let's see here what do i do i got that's of interest as i'm looking around you know like i said it's, it's awfully messy in here right now um did your boat normally sit in there or is this just a bait room no it's just a bait room my boat sits outside in, in a cover but shoot i'm on the road for the most part here let me turn you can kind of see you know during during covid i built a pallet wall up there and kind of redid this room some and yes it's still a mess 
See, the, 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 I assume the TV is for watching the Hellabass live stream. So, uh, ab- absolutely. I mean, I, <laughs> I have to hook my phone up to stream there uh, through data because the you know, country and yeah. and we don't have uh, very good internet service. Uh, there's my flogger up there. Um, let's see here. What do we got? Anything interesting? Have you ever used the flogger for anything outside of betting smallmouth? No. I see and some bells. I I've tried it. I actually bought the flogger the year that the first year we went to Oak, uh, Bull Shoals. The year Brandon Palinick won at Bull Shoals because right. I was going to fish the Bassmaster Open the next week at Table Rock, and I said, "Well, between the two of them, you know, I can justify buying this flogger." Well, there ended up being an algae bloom, and you could only see a foot and a half in the water, so you couldn't see bedfish anyway. And I've tried catching largemouth with it with no success. I've tried doing the smallmouth deal. Uh, about got seasick, clocked myself in the nose. <laughs> Look, they don't, they don't tell you about that stuff. Okay, they say, oh, you, it, it's gonna be one flogging. You need a flogger. Okay, nobody tells you how to use it safely, and and it just the learning curve wasn't there. Again, we talk about two to three days of yeah. practice. You know, the guys that excel at doing it are the ones that live up there and use it. And the the one tournament I had where it was a major factor was uh, Champlain. The last time I was there. Um, who won that one? Casey Scanlon won that one. Yeah, you he know? didn't win it, but most of the top ten were doing the smallmouth thing. That's what Josh Douglas had, I think, kind of top ten using an ice rod or something yeah. like that. Yeah. But bottom line is, yeah. there weren't enough fish on beds of caliber that they needed to to justify doing it. Because again, that's your end game using that that flogger on that one fish. And if you spend all your time looking with that flogger, you know, guys weren't having success doing it. You know, what what I've heard Austin Felix said was it's really not for finding them. It's for catching them. It's yep. like, so you, you, he, he says he goes and looks and spends his, like, he'll spend his practice time looking where the conditions will allow him to see. Yep. And he'll just troll a motor around and look and mark them. And then what the flogger allows him to do is fish those fish under any conditions in the tournament. Yeah. And, and so, again, you just named two dudes that are northern guys. Right. And as a guy from down south, I'm sitting and thinking, well, I'm going to use to go brim fishing. <laughs> you know, to go catch them on a, on a clear water lake to go brim fishing. Uh, but at, at the same time, it, it's still not as easy. It's just like somebody saying, oh, the active target, you can just plug it in and go catch them. Flogging is not that simple, especially to learn it, you know, the two days before the tournament starts. You know, and so you try it for a little bit and you're like, no, this isn't my game. I need to scrap this. Even though they say it's great, this is how it's going to be won. I need to go find chlorine fish, not what you're supposed to do fish. Yeah. Did I see some gee crack on the wall? <laughs> you did. You did. I got the Bellows Gill. I've uh, played around with it quite a bit. Um, I don't know if people have seen that bait. And the reason I've got these is I try to come up with creative ways to catch them on brush piles. When you live in the South and you've got brush pile lakes, you know, those fish get pounded relentlessly. The technology is there. It's too easy uh, to find brush. And the, the trick about our lake is the, the fish get on the brush to eat crappie. And so I'm trying to figure out great crappie and brim imitators to fish in the brush. They see so many old monsters and they see a lot of crankbaits and jigs and everything mm-hmm. else. It's what can I throw down there? So when you fish that geek crack down there, it looks like a big brim or crappie kind of just meandering around down there. 
and you just fish it slow and you can bang it off limbs and pop it up and you'll get some big fish on it. You know, it, it's a great site fishing bait, but mm-hmm. you know, the, avail- the availability of it is the tricky part is yeah. the, you know, the, the thing is like you build all this confidence and whack them and then you got three packs of them, which is only like nine baits. And then like, <laughs> well, the big ones only have three in there. Yeah, so I said three packs is nine baits. <laughs> yeah, so it, you, you're able to reel it over the surface, and it looks like a big dying brown, but, you know, the durability of them isn't there. You know, they fall real slow. It, you know, so it's, it, it's again, just another bait to play around with, you know. But on Derby Day, I can tell you right now, I'm going to have a green pumpkin Cinco on. I'm going to have a black blue jig on. I'm going to have the same stuff, you know, that everybody else is going to have on. But it's, okay, on the off days, what do I go try and add to the arsenal? You know, and then it comes down to what can I cull out just to get rid of. Are we allowed to talk about uh, heavyweight chatterbaits? Yeah, we can. Isn't that like one of your things? Used to be. I I fished a chatterbait way more than I I used to. And I've got a big stock of of one because I used, uh, I actually put a guy out of business. Um, I caught 20 pounds on Bassmaster Day on the Lake. And I mean, it didn't even have a name at the time. I mean, it was a Bobby a grinder. grinder. Yep. And dude, I get two or three messages a month. People asking me how to get them. And he, he cashed in, made some money, sold the crap out of them. And of course he got the letter. And so from Z man. Yep. And so that was done. Um, but I still think it's the, the best, you know, vibrating jig on the market. Uh, the guys that have stockpiles of them, I mean, I know guys about hundreds of them, you know, when they, when it was about to go down and that they, they hold them like gold, <laughs> you know, a lot of times that used to be, I'd catch them on one and I'd give my coat or my, my marshal, I'd cut it off and give it to him at the end of the day. And I was like, no, nah, I'm putting this one back in the box. You know, I'll be use this one for practice is raggedy, whatever else. Uh, but there is a product, I'm, you know, and again, I'm not sponsored by them, but I'll talk about something cool. Um, there's a new look, rookie on the elite series named KJ queen. I met him and his dad at, um, at Louisville and they own queen tackle and his dad was, he and his dad were showing me a bunch of stuff and his dad's an engineer and he gave me something called a switchblade and I've bought some since then. Yep. Oh, you got some right there. And what's neat is you're able to, to actually add that on to any head without using a split ring yeah i don't know if you can see that but you basically pop that wire out of the one side of the clevis slide it through any jig head you want and make your own yeah as long as it's got a vertical line tie you know and so like i'm starting to play around with it you know you're talking about a heavy a heavy chatter bait well i can put it on a one ounce or a ounce and a half swim bait head and turn that into a chatter bait you know i know that like lambert was throwing that jerky j on on a big you know, chatterbait type head, and that was a big deal on TVA lakes. Um, but now you can make a chatterbait out of any jig that you've got by putting, as long as it's got a vertical line tie or a swim bait head or anything like that, you can turn it into a chatterbait. If you want one with a weed guard, you can instantly make a good one with a weed guard and it hits the head and everything else. So, again, I'm not sponsored by them, but hey, I like to talk about small companies that make great products and that's that switchblade is pr- pretty neat. And especially like I'm looking, I made one up. I just can't find it in my box because I did the same thing. I put it on one of my, my tungsten bass tech jigs and made a weedless bladed jig. I don't know what I did with it, but 
But I think, and also as a co-angler, right? Like just having a couple packs of those blades in your co-angler pack could save you if you ran out of a certain color bladed jig or you didn't think they were going to buy a bladed jig and all of a sudden that ended up being the deal. All of a sudden that gives you the ultimate flexibility as a co-angler. Yeah, and it, like I said, it, it for me it's just a matter of tinkering and trying to find a right. better mousetrap. And a lot of it has yeah. to do with hookup and landing percentages, you know, something else they haven't seen yet. But again, when it, when it's game day, I'm more than likely going to have on a green pumpkin cinco, a jig, you know, the same old meat and potatoes because that's what most fish are caught on. Chartreuse yeah, and black sugar, sure. but I mean, same stuff. But I like the idea of having things like, you know, I mean, that's not an issue for me normally because I'm a boater most of the time. But like if you're a pond fisherman, if you're a co-angler, the ability to just buy a couple packs of blades, that's like really a big benefit, right? You don't necessarily need to go out and spend $15 on a chatterbait when you already got a bunch of vertical line tied jigs, right? You can buy a handful of blades and then you're trying to get by pond fishing with just, you know, a little bit of tackle. That That's a big difference. You, you don't have to carry one of everything. So that's, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of advantages. You know, and it's kind of like, you know, you take that Bravarni's jig right there. And again, I'm not sponsored by Bravarni, but great company, great guys right there. You know, if I'm catching him on a, you know, three eighths ounce Bravarni swim jig up in lacrosse, I can all of a sudden take one of those jigs and also turn that same jig into a chatterbait, you know, match it exactly. So now the water's dirtier. It gives it something different in the same area that mm-hmm. I'm going through and making a second pass. Or I could start off with a chatterbait and then go more subtle with the, just the straight swim jig after that. So, I mean, there's a lot of different applications you'd be able to use something like that for. For sure. Yeah. We could start them earlier, but that's why we got the replays. <laughs> and yeah, I got a guy fit tomorrow on Rayburn. <laughs> yeah. So we'll probably, we'll, we'll wrap it up here pretty quick. Uh, no, and if you guys good. actually, uh, one of my buddies, the serious angler, if you head over his channel, he's actually got some discount codes for Queens tackle. So if you want to support his channel and support those guys, I won't tell you what it is, but if you want to go check out the serious angler, you can save yourself on uh, some of those switchblades. Um, Cool. Well, I think we're pretty much, you know, we, we're just over two hours. I think uh, you got a guide trip. It's a weeknight. I think we'll wrap things up. I appreciate your time, Clark. Uh, as always, it's it's a riot uh, to chat with you. I have a good time. Um, I don't have to do a lot of work because you, you kind of, you, you, you <laughs> like to talk. So <laughs> <laughs> trying to make your job as easy as possible. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, if you guys, you know, came late, watch the replay. Uh, Tomorrow will be up. There'll be the podcast version. will be up tomorrow as well. Uh, just search Hellabass and then in your podcast apps, and you can listen to, to any of this while you're you know, walking the dog or working out or driving to the lake. Um, and also make sure if you, if you, if you got an active target, you're probably going to want to go make sure you watch uh, Clark's YouTube channel and there'll be some good nuggets there. Um, <clears throat> so as always uh, here to help you guys catch more bass and suck less. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
As always, thanks to all of you that hung in till the end of this podcast. This has been another episode of Hellabass Bass Fishing Podcast Experience. Please consider sharing this with any of your bass and buddies and friends. This is the best way for podcasts to grow is through word of mouth. Also, don't forget to search Hellabass on Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, or just about anywhere else so that we can connect in more ways. As always, here to help you catch more bass and suck less.